Hey, this is Eddie Olchek. You're listening to Empty Betters with Nick, Mac, and Harrison. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to episode 97, getting close, of Empty Betters. I'm your host, Nick Manella, and I'm going to go ahead and throw it across to the only other guy that's with me today, Mac Vogel. What's going on, bud? It's going good. Yeah, it was a bummer that we had to fire Harrison, but you know, he just <laughs> he wasn't, wasn't pulling the weight at the end of the day. And I mean, the biggest factor just was he was a Penguins fan and it was just, it was getting to be too much. And, uh, you know, you can't surround people. You can't surround yourself with people like that, you know? No, absolutely not. It was one of the things that I think uh, HR found most appalling on his employee peer review. So, you yeah, know, tough decisions were, were made, but uh, unfortunately he is, he's no longer with us. <laughs> um yeah he's where the hell even is he right now he's in mexico or something he's in like texas at night and mexico during the day so i don't know what he does for a living but i'm a reload by morning i see yeah exactly yeah a little george Strait reference there yeah uh yeah i don't know what he does for a living but uh seems like he's making a couple trips back and forth so (laughs) do do with that what you will all right fair enough well um we have some good stuff to get to today, so uh, yeah. why don't we dive in? Absolutely. Before we jump into anything, though, we do want to say thank you so much to everyone that came out to the watch party at Don't Know Tavern last week. Great game between the Caps and the Rangers, uh, if you're a Caps fan. Uh, not necessarily, I think, the title fight that we were expecting. We had a couple scraps here and there, but none, none of the heavies went at it. Uh, just want to say a huge thanks to everyone that don't know. You know, the owner was there. The bartenders were great. Uh, Sam, the bartender in particular, but everyone on the staff made us feel so welcome, did a great job of accommodating us. Uh, and if you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, which you and I both have, uh, that definitely goes a long way. And we know how hard those people work. So really appreciate definitely. it and appreciate all the support as always. Good stuff. Yeah, I hope uh, hope Empty Betters can host uh, another little watch party like that sometime soon, and I'll be able to make that one. Sounds yeah, hopefully like a lot of we'll, we'll have the jet by then. So uh, we do have an interview guest this episode for you guys, and definitely an entertaining one. It is two-time Stanley Cup champion Christopher Stieg. One of the funniest interviews we've had. This guy does not hold back at all. He's a funny guy isn't shy about talking about, you know, his favorite music. Uh, if you checked out the reel that we posted on Instagram today, you know, he's not shy uh, after a few pops for a little karaoke either. So definitely are going to want to check that one out. Uh, before we hop into the news, Mac, topic of the day, what you got? All right, this is a weird one. So everybody just hang with me. But I feel like I'm hoping a lot of people might be able to relate to this one. Maybe I'm just weird, but maybe, maybe not. Let's see. So Did you ever have, like, when you were younger, any sort of, like, weird game that you, like, made up, either with your friends or, like, with your family? But just, like, does any game come to mind that you completely just, like, made up and sometimes would play? This could be anything. This is kind of broad. Like, it could be something you played in the car. It could be more of an actual, like, sport type of thing that you and your siblings played in the yard or something. And maybe it's not fully made up. Maybe it's an offshoot of something else. But... You see what I'm getting at. I obviously do have something like that because I'm asking this question, which is kind of ridiculous. But I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you go first if you have anything ready. 
I think I do. So I think, you know, like any kid can come up. You could give a get like a group of four boys a rock and they'll like put a game together with it. You know, exactly. Like, hide the rock. going in the right direction. Right. Throw, exactly the, throw the yeah. rock at like your friend or something like that, you know. Uh, but I think the one that jumps to mind for me actually comes from when I was more of like a teenager. Uh, I used to like every kid that was like a swimmer growing up, which was pretty much my entire life. I also was a lifeguard you know, as like a, you know, part-time summer job, part-time winter job, whatever. And uh, this is kind of bad, but like after hours at one of the pools, I would work at like a bunch of the lifeguards, you know, we're all around the same age, you know, we would stay after work a couple times, hang out, swim in the pool, you know, take it easy, sit on the roof of the guard office, you know, listen to music, relax, you know, do what teenagers do. So go ahead and just, you know, do the math. Uh, one of the things that we enjoyed doing at this pool, which is the pool that I also swam for growing up, which had a giant white uh, sort of like spiral slide. Uh, it was probably like 100 feet in the air at the top. Um, you know, it was real reasonably a quick slide, but there was a way to make it go really fast was if you know how, you know, at a water park, a water slide, there's water running down the slide, Right. So to do this, what you do is you run that water and someone walks up the slide backwards to kick water all over the sides of it. Then you cut that water. And basically what you've done is now turned it into a giant slip and slide. So now you're going really fast. And it's to the point where like you couldn't pick your head up because the G-force that you were pulling was so much. And we would, this is really dangerous. We would overshoot the landing pool and like hit the wall and like land with our feet up on the pool deck, but it was so much fun. And I'm not going to say the name of the pool or the company that I worked for, but yeah, holy cow, had some good times doing that. That's, that's pretty great. I, uh, that, no, that's a good one. That was a good answer. Mine is, um, I, I, it's funny because what you just said is making me think of something else that I did at a certain golf course that I may or may not have worked at. And I think I told you about this already, but we won't, yeah. you did, we won't go down that line. But what I will say is the game that came to mind for me was that growing up, we were close with our neighbors um, to the point where like, I was friends with the kid that lived there. And then my dad was close with like his dad as well. So we'd hang out in the neighborhood and it was actually my neighbor's dad that coined this game with my dad, uh, oddly enough, and they would play. And then one day me and my, friend his son were like what the hell are you guys doing and they like taught us how to play and so we'd play it around our neighborhood and the name of the game is called shoe golf and i mean it's exactly what it sounds like you basically on your dominant foot you slip your foot off slip your heel out of the shoe and you just have like the front of your foot in the shoe um and you both start at the same tee box uh you know you pick something either a a stop sign or wherever you guys are at in the neighborhood. You you both tee off from the same spot and you pick a tree off in the distance or a big light post or could pick a stop sign, something like that. And you basically fling, fling the shoe off as far as you can towards the hole, towards whatever you've decided is that hole number one. And then you got to like either run with one sock and one shoe or hop on the one shoe foot all the way over to your shoe and you got to play it as it lies too. So like you can, you can get, you can flip it over to get your foot inside of it. But if it's like facing the wrong way, you got to try to like fling it. Oh, then you got to go like over your head with it. Yeah. And so like, or, or like, yeah, beside you and take another stroke on it or something. But 
you basically keep track of your score and we would play like five or six holes and we'd be at the other side of the neighborhood by the time we're done and you're just picking different things in the neighborhood to fling it at. We used to have a blast with it, but it's just, it's the dumbest thing. You don't need anything for it. You just need your shoes. Even sometimes now, like if I'm drunk with friends walking home late at night or something, I was going to say that's got we'll walking home from the bars hole. written all over it. Play a quick hole on your yeah. way home. Yeah. It's a good time. There was a couple times, I mean, the one of the disgusting frat houses that I lived in uh, was like basically two minutes from all the stretches of bars that were in, well, the stretch of bars that was in Towson. And so we would take like these like, you know, back neighborhood streets to get there and be at the bar in two minutes. So every now and then, you know, we would play like catch or tag on the way home. And, you know, you can probably imagine how that went, you know, with the boys doing that on the way home. But that's a great game. I That's kudos to your dad and uh, your neighbor's dad for coming up with that one. Yeah, good stuff. Shout out shoe golf and any other real ones out there that maybe invented the same game. I'm I'm sure they're out there. It's not that hard to invent something like that. In my yeah. Opinion, but. So like, what was your shoe of choice for shoe golf? Because like, part of me is thinking maybe like the good old fashioned like tennis shoe would be good, like a sneaker. You know. Yeah, I mean, light can go far. When you're a kid, bounce. anything is a slip on, even if it's got laces on it. You don't right. use the fucking laces ever. So I still it, don't. It, right, me either. But. Uh, I did have like my school shoes were um, these brown Merrill slip-ons, mm-hmm. like the classic, just like ugly ass brown Merrill slip-on, no lace yep. on it. Straight that out of the was, catalog. Uh-huh. That yep. one was pretty perfect for it. And uh, from kindergarten to eighth grade, we would walk home because it was only about probably like four or five blocks from where I lived. Um, and so we would often play on our walk home from school and that Merrill won me many holes. Yeah. Shoe off. Oh, it's yeah. up, it's up there in the hall. Definitely. Yeah. That's the OV stick. That yeah. Is like, <laughs> yeah. My shoe. Oh, I love it. All right. Well, before we hop into news, why don't you tell everyone about the great company that is brackish life? Don't mind if I do. Yeah, let's take a minute to talk about Brackish Life. If you're like us and grew up on the water and outdoors, then Brackish Life is perfect for you. They have a wide selection of gear from UV shirts to hoodies and hats. It's Real Bay Apparel made by Real Bay people. Head to Brackish Life. Sorry, head to Brackish.life today to check them out. A little salty, a little fresh. Brackish Life. And don't forget, Brackish Life is also teamed up with Rink to Reef Chesapeake Bay, to preserve the area many of us call home, Rink to Reef repurposes broken hockey sticks into oyster restoration habitats. Brackish Life donates a portion of the proceeds to Rink to Reef to further preserve the beautiful Chesapeake Bay area. Support this great cause by checking out www.brackish.life today. Nick, let's get into the news. Nice. Well, unfortunately, we have some sad news to add to an already very sad story. Uh, It was released the other day that former NHL player Jimmy Hayes had cocaine and fentanyl in his system when he died. His family told the Boston Globe on Sunday. Uh, For those that don't remember, Hayes was found dead at his home in Boston on August 23rd, the day after celebrating his son's second birthday. He was 31 years old. I hope getting Jimmy's story out there can save someone's life. Hayes' father, Kevin, told the Boston Globe, if this can save someone from the pain, great. I'm just so sad. I pride myself on being pretty mentally strong. I'm a street guy, but there's just no formula to this. You have a beautiful all-American boy who made a terrible mistake and it cost him its life. I mean, it's just so unfortunate to hear. And, 
you know, to, to know that the guy was going through and was in pain. It's just, it's the worst and you just feel for the family. Definitely. Yeah. I said it before, said it again, prayers and thoughts go out to them. Um, good on his dad for trying to, you know, look at what good might be able to come out of this situation. We're definitely seeing a lot more, um, people talking out about this, which is good, but you know, we want everybody to be able to speak if they're, uh, going through something. So hopefully, like his dad said, this can eventually um, turn out to help a lot of other people that might be struggling. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on, Evander Kane has been suspended 21 games by the NHL for violating the COVID-19 protocol. The Sharks forward will be ineligible to play a game in the league until November 30th. In addition, the NHL has also found no evidence to support the claims of domestic abuse from Kane's wife, thereby ending the league's other investigation into the player. That comes to us from Bleacher Report. Kane said, I would like to apologize to my teammates and the San Jose Sharks organization, along with all the fans for violating the NHL COVID protocols. I made a mistake, one I sincerely regret and take responsibility for. So this was one of the scenarios, I think, between this and the Jack Eichel thing that we had talked about for like the last seven episodes that was up in the air. We finally get some closure on it. It didn't necessarily, I know the investigation surrounding him was into him submitting a fake COVID-19 vaccination card, but it never said if that was the ultimate result of it or not, but basically the guy violated the protocol. And as we learned last season, the NHL is going to be quick to slap you with a fine or a penalty if you do that. So, uh, you know, he owned it. He said it's a mistake he's got to take responsibility for. And uh, what are your thoughts on it? So, What's interesting to me is we recently talked about, are we ever going to see Vander Kane in a Sharks jersey again, in an NHL jersey again? What's the future look like for this guy? I'm looking at his contract now. He is signed all the way through the year, the season 24-25 with the Sharks. So like 25-26 is when he would become a UFA. That's a while from now. Uh, so it's not the kind of situation where it's like you have a player that suddenly you're like, Oh no, we don't want this guy on our team. We can easily just like terminate his contract or like, you know, not resign him next year or whatever. Like the sharks are kind of stuck with him. So unless they can find somebody who is desperate and wants to take a gamble and trade for him and pay him all that money, he's making, uh, 7 million this year. And yeah, yearly cash around seven million. Something tells um, me they're going to be keeping like five of that seven. Yeah, if they right, if they can find a suitor. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It sounds like Kane is doing his best to try and like, like you know, bridge the gap here and mend the situation. It seems like he wants to play for the Sharks again. So we'll see. You know what the team thinks of that and what the league thinks of it when we get a little closer to November 30th, but it'll be interesting to see. It seems like this guy can't like stay out of the news headlines for long. So I November 30th is over a month away. I feel like something's going to happen between now and then. Yeah. And it's just, you know, what's the vibe in the locker room? Like I did see Vlasic said something earlier today, you know, very typical, like, Hey, we're just focused on playing hockey. It just seems like the guys don't even want to dignify these questions with responses anymore. And they're probably sick of it. I'm sure the coaching staff and the fans are sick of it. So 
Hopefully this just gets resolved. I personally don't think we're going to see him play another game in a Sharks uniform. I think they're going to, you know, do something where they're able to move him, but I think they're going to be eating a lot of that contract to do so. I think it'll also depend like how well the Sharks are doing around November 30th or slightly before that. Right. Because I mean, if they're doing really well, it's like, yeah, fuck this guy, get him out of here. We don't need him. We don't want to bring a cancer into a locker room that's doing really well right now. However, if they're down on their luck, it's still early in the season. That's not too late to try and turn things around. If you're like, shit, this was our best player last year, which he was, honestly. Maybe we just give him another chance, bring him in, see what happens. Who knows? It's it's a toss-up right now. I, I can't say for sure if I think we're going to see him or not in Sharks jersey again. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving on, Washington Capitals superstar Alex Ovechkin scored twice in his NHL debut and is now fifth all-time on the NHL career goals list. Scored twice in the team's 5-1 to one stomping of the New York Rangers, giving him 732 career goals in 1,198 games. That moved him past Hall of Famer Marcel Dion into the sole possession of fifth place all-time in NHL career goals. So, Kudos to Ovi. He goes up another rung on the ladder and passes Marcel Dion, who I think you can probably say is the best player on that goal scoring list to never win a Stanley Cup. I would. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think you're far off saying that. Yeah. Uh, going on down the list again, the Toronto Maple Leafs sported TikTok decals on their helmets Wednesday night for the season opener against the Montreal Canadiens. The team's parent company announced a deal with TikTok earlier Wednesday for the social media platform's logo to appear on players' helmets throughout the season. So it looks like the Leafs are making moves. By the way, did you see how much that franchise is worth? I did. That's bonkers. They're it's number one, right? By like miles. It's yeah. not even close. Two billion dollars. Wow. Uh, the Leafs compare that to uh, like the Coyotes. Yeah, which I think barely cracked like four hundred grand. Right. Yep. Oof. Uh, the Leafs also used University of Toronto goaltender Alex Bishop as their backup to starter Jack Campbell the other night when they defeated the Ottawa Senators. 3-1 to one at Scotiabank Arena. The 24-year-old was signed to an amateur tryout contract because the Leafs were unable to recall a goalie from the American Hockey League due to NHL salary cap constraints. Goaltender Peter Morazic sustained a groin injury in a 3-2 loss to Ottawa on the previous Thursday. Dude, this blows. I like Peter Morazic. I was big on him when we were previewing the divisions. I was talking about how I think that's awesome that they have him to back up Campbell, and now it sounds like he may not play this year. Um, it's unfortunate, man. The dude is kind of like Michael Neuvert, where it's just one thing after another, and in between injuries, he shows signs of being a really steady Eddie goalie. Um, I remember Neuvert right after we traded him, like set the save record for Buffalo or something like that. He literally had like 50 plus saves or something like that. He was the starter until Braden Holtby comes along. Yep. And Razik has done stuff like that too. Like he's, he's had a couple of like shutout streaks, if I'm not mistaken of like two or three games and stuff like that. Like he's, he's a totally good, solid tender, but he's just can't stay off the IR and you got to feel for a guy like that. It's a bummer, but yeah, for sure. The Michael Neuvirth comparison. I really like that one. That's, that's good. Uh, the Seattle Kraken picked up their first franchise win last week with a four to three dub over the Nashville Predators. I don't know if you noticed this, but one of their fans also beat the crap out of a Preds fan in the stands. So it's good to see that their fans are really taking to this hockey thing. That was crazy. I, yeah, that was an 
absolutely bonkers video. I couldn't believe like the two franchises that you would least expect to yeah, have a fight in the stands between. Yeah, I gotta know like what the hell was going on between those two before. Like it had to be something just assholes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ilya Kovalchuk has been named the Russian Olympic Committee's men's ice hockey team general manager for the upcoming 2022 Beijing Winter Games. The Russians are going to rely on former NHLers behind the bench as well. Alexei Zhamnov is going to take on head coaching duties while Sergei Fedorov, Evgeny Nabokov, and Sergei Gonchar will be the assistants. I think we've all heard of those guys before. That is so sick. All those names are like some of my favorite players from growing up. I just wish I could watch those guys play. I know, right? And I think it's crazy that that Ilya Kovalchuk is going to be the GM of the team. Like he's pretty young guy, but I mean it like he, yeah, he's older as far as like the Russian players go, but you just like, he like could I just thought he was going to play until like he was like 50 or five years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he's not that far removed from being able to actually be on the team. And now he's out here being the GM, but I kind of like it. I mean, he knows more about like what the team needs than probably some old guy would. So so Ovi's just captain immediately, right? It better be. I mean, they're they're buddies, right? They're exactly. together briefly. So right. I think Ovi's second son is named Ilya, right? I think you're right, isn't it? Yeah. Sergey and Ilya. Yeah. There you go. Uh Austin Matthews made his return last night against the New York Rangers. Uh, he was pointless in his debut, and the only Leafs goal was scored by Michael Bunting. Uh, did you catch that overtime? Yeah, that wow. was unbelievable. I didn't catch wow. it live, but I watched a replay of the entire overtime this morning. Unbelievable. That is that's hockey baby, as uh yeah. what's his name always says that. Uh, uh John Forsland. Yeah, right. Um no, that was incredible. Uh, and shout out to both goaltenders. Holy shit, they both made some incredible saves, Igor and Jack Campbell. Um Honestly, I, I was surprised that the Rangers ended up winning it. Like the least Same. chances in that game were even better in my second opinion, period. The they were out won. shooting them like 15 to two. There's been a few, and I can't remember between which teams, but there's been at least three or four three on three overtimes like that one in the last like couple of years since they introduced the three on three format for overtime. And I, it's just electric when there's teams trading chances and both goalies are dialed in and it's they want that extra point back and, and like, forth, two on ones. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, Oh God, that's hockey, baby. I said yeah. it before. I, I'll say it again. That is hockey, baby. Yeah. I saw, I loved the, you shared that on your, your personal story and you're like, anyone who wants to tell me hockey's boring, just watch yeah. this. And yeah. it's so true. It's just like I, even if you you're like I don't like sports, and you watch that clip, you're gonna be like, "Holy shit, that yeah. was electric!" <laughs> it was. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is going to make his season debut against the Washington Capitals tonight, which is Tuesday, October nineteenth. He missed the first two games of the season after testing positive for COVID nineteen over a week ago, although he was asymptomatic. So the Caps are gonna lose tonight. Now, um, Nate Mac in Gabe out, right? I think so. Okay. And now uh, this is the first time we're playing the Avs with um, no Grooby, right? So it's, true. it's probably going to be Kemper. I don't know if they've confirmed it. Probably going to be Kemper. I know they did confirm Sammy is getting his first yep. start tonight for the Caps. It's also worth noting, I don't believe that he has uh, played against the Colorado Avalanche before, right? Because I don't know if he has. He would have. He 
he played obviously last season against only those division teams. And then the year before that, I think he maybe had a couple games with us, but, but that was it. So I would wait. Right. He never played the avalanche before. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. And if I, if my memory serves me right, McKinnon normally torches the caps. Yeah. Honestly, the avalanche normally torch the caps. I have a memory of playing them recently and it was like four to nothing in the first period. You remember the one I'm talking about? And we uh, were recording during that game. And I remember Harry just giving me the business because we had it on the TV in the background, but so annoying. Yeah. I will say another fond memory of caps abs recently is, um, uh, Orlov absolutely like I was at that game. Topic. I think it was Matthew Shane. Was yeah. it? Um, Number was it nine against nine? It was nine on nine. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and he just uh, got low and just open ice him. and just yeah, incredible hit. That was one of the first hockey games my girlfriend and I went to together, and she still says to me all the time, "She's like, do you remember when we were at that game and Orlov flipped that guy up in the air and he landed on his back?" I was like, yeah, <laughs> so sick. Yeah, Orlov uh, loves those open ice hits. He too. low key one of the best open ice hitters in the NHL. Yeah. yeah. Uh, feel good story of the week before we move on to the Christopher Stieg interview here. Uh, Hendricks Lapierre scoring his first NHL goal in his first NHL game with the Caps and getting to do it while being on the ice and on the bench with his childhood hero, which is Ovi, is just so cool because that was all of us as kids. And then to like watch someone do it, although I feel a thousand years old saying that he was born in 2002, but. Uh, it, it was just so cool. And his, like everyone's reaction. Cause you know, the but caps, he can't even go to the bar yet. And he's right, he can't even go to the bar yet. The his poor first kid. NHL goal assisted by TJ Oshie. Like how, right. how does that work, man? That's crazy. I, I love the reactions of all the, you know, sort of like the old caps players now who are like all 30 plus are just going bananas for this yeah. kid. They're, they're all just a bunch so excited. Of old farts and they're probably right. nostalgic about their first goals. And they're like, right. when was the last time? someone on the caps roster scored their first nhl goal like in a caps uniform like i feel like it's been mm. years mcmichael hasn't done it yet no um i there's got to be a, a a couple like random bears guys that that filled in for injuries maybe last year or the year before um like brian pinno or someone yeah or daniel carr or yeah um back like like that Mm-hmm. it's yeah. somebody like that for sure within the last year or two but it, it wasn't nearly as an electric as no. this one because this is also like one of our top prospects and yes. it's just a really good sign to see something like that you look at all the like really amazing players that scored girl scored goals in their first nhl game we were talking about malkin and about ov they both did it matthews had two had four matthews <laughs> had four yeah right i mean there's right. a lot of great fabian brunstrom with the stars you know he had three <laughs> Yeah, Alexander Dig. Right. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if he scored in this first, but I don't think anyway. so. Uh congrats to Hendricks again. That was awesome. Before we hop into the Christopher Stieg interview, we just want to remind everyone that summer may be over, but there's still never been a better time to get out on the water. Are you looking to finance that new boat or yacht you have always dreamed of? Well, you are in luck because the yacht lender is a specialist in marine finance. With partnerships with 15 different banks, he is the right lender for whatever vessel you may be in the market for. Backed by Trident Funding with over 25 years as an industry leader, the Yacht Lender has the expertise and know-how to finance the boat of your dreams. You can see the Yacht Lender at the Fort Lauderdale Boat Show from October 27th to the 31st to go check him out in Florida. I don't know if I'll pay for your flight, but that sounds kind of nice. 
Don't wait. Apply today at www.yachtlender.com or check him out on Instagram at Yachtlender to see others who have already gotten out on the water. Let's go ahead and toss it off to Chris for Stieg right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, where our next guest won two Stanley Cups with the Chicago Blackhawks. He played over 640 games in the NHL. Mr. Chris Versteeg, welcome to the Empty Betters podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and how you started playing hockey in the first place? Well, I grew up in North Lethbridge. It's, uh, we're pretty proud about saying we're from the north side in Lethbridge, Alberta, and basically hockey is something I remember from, you know, some of my very first memories with my father bringing me to the rink or my grandfather. And then all the way to my first hockey school at this, uh, that the Sutter brothers owned. Uh, and obviously it takes you right to today. So it, it all grew, it all started in, in Southern Alberta and it's pretty much shaped me into who I am today. So you're pretty much just born right into the thick of it then. Yeah. It's not like my father was a hockey player. He grew up on a farm. He was a cattle rancher and, and a farmer and my mom, uh, she, you know, she played baseball. They both liked hockey, but it wasn't really, um, like it wasn't like I came out of the womb with skates on, you know, it was more just like my, I remember my mom, my dad loved the eighties Oilers though. And that was kind of how it ignited his love for hockey. And then once I was able to skate and hold a stick, that's kind of where he pushed the Oilers on me. Uh, and I think that's where I started to like love playing around the house, love playing on the street. And then um, obviously I just remember my earliest memories being on the ice. There's, there's no better feeling. And I'm pretty sure you guys can attest to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, who were some of your idols from those Oilers teams? Oh man. Um, so I, I remember Marshawn or uh, March, is it Todd Marshawn, right? And in, in the Ryan Smith days in the early yeah. 90s. And then I ended up playing against them, which was kind of crazy, but I still <laughs> remember that Todd goal. Uh, against Dallas I was watching it in my friend's basement when he came flying down and went low blocker that was like one of the craziest goals ever and kind of around that time I started to transition into a Detroit team because my dad forced basically Edmonton 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 on me all the time by the time I got around 11 or 10 I was like the most hardcore Steve Eiserman fan kind of around that time I was still cheering for the Oilers but um, I guess they were an easy team to cheer for because they're winning all the time too. But it was just Steve Eiserman was just my absolute idol as a child, uh, even more than any Oilers. I mean, I would have loved to have remembered the eighties Oilers, but I would only have been one, two, three, you know, four years old. So I don't really have any fond memories of those teams, but uh, the nineties, it had to be, you know, Todd, because he was a, he was a smaller guy. Uh, he was fast and kind of obviously reminded me a little bit of myself, someone I could look up to and, kind of mirror myself after. Sure. Who were some of the, like, I mean, you mentioned him, were there anyone else that you tried to model your game after at all? Well, so again, growing up in Lethbridge, like I think that my, I only been to one NHL game. It was when my dad brought me to watch Wayne Gretzky play for the LA Kings. Uh, we couldn't afford going right. Uh, it wasn't something that we had access to. And this was like a save all year type of thing to save up to go to one game and sit in the nosebleeds at the very top section in Calgary. So um, I just remember my idols were actually junior hockey players. I don't know if uh, maybe some people on the podcast kind of, uh, I guess, feel the same way about that. But his name was Todd McIsaac. And he was, again, number little number uh, 10, played for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Um and I could, he actually reminded me of Todd Marshall or Mark or Marshall. What's the hell's his last name again? <laughs> the NHL guy. I, I think it is 
Marshawn. Am I, I mistaken? Think it is. I'm, yeah. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I might have like Dude, a. I feel like I'm Marshawn. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, holy hell. But they're Works like. for us. Yeah. 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 Fuck. Yeah. You got it right. Uh, yeah. And, but Todd McIsaac was very similar. He was small. They're both left shots though, but he always did this wraparound goal. And I remember he was my neighbor's, my best friend billeted him as well. And, uh, actually so there's a couple correlations with that number 10 is the number i always wanted to wear as a kid because of todd and we actually had my mom ended up losing a baby right you know pretty close to childbirth and we named him todd after todd mckisaac because it was all my brothers my favorite players so um it's very uh tens a very special number to me and todd mckisaac was like god to me so every time he'd come he'd play street hockey with me uh he'd teach me little things on the street as well as my neighbor my good friend whose house he lived at. So it's kind of, I don't know if there's any junior hockey players who ever listen to this. When, when young kids get to be around you, they definitely look up to you and there's, there's an aura that'll, you know, they, that follows you around. So, you know, go out and play with them, play on the street, man. It made a massive impact on my life. And still to this day over any NHL hockey player, Todd yeah. Isaac was the guy I looked up to. Wow. So it's funny. Cause you talk about how he played for the hurricanes. And then I'm looking over here at your junior career where you spent, Looks like five seasons in the WHL from 02 to 06. Do you want to walk us through your junior career and some highlights through there? Yeah, I, well, I played four years. So I played 16, four. 17, 18, 19. And uh, my first three years were in Lethbridge. So again, playing in my hometown in front of friends and family. I was actually never drafted to the WHL. I was a bit of an undersized guy. And back in those days, early 2000s, you pretty much had to have a mustache at the age of 14 in order to be drafted. <laughs> It's crazy. Like if you were undersized, they wouldn't even look at you like from the start of the game. Um, so I had a, you know, I still ended up making it as an underage, a 16 year old, um, had a couple of years, obviously I had a lot of maturing to do and gotten, uh, you know, um, having fun off the ice was a little more enjoyable to me than how, you know, grinding on the ice until I really understood what it took after I got drafted um, and that's when I got traded to Red Deer and had a good sit down with Brent Sutter on basically he said, when you want to be, you're the best player here and the best player on the ice every night. And when you don't want to be, I don't know what the hell you're doing. So I remember that was like a conversation that resonated with me. And the next year, uh, I kind of put my shit together. I went to work in the summertime. I put on 20 pounds and, uh, basically I think I finished second in scoring in the AHL as a rookie. Uh, in the AHL rookie scoring. And like, I think I believe I finished 13th in the entire league and had over a point a game as a 20 year old. Um, you know, so that was like one of those times where uh, I, I just kind of had to fuck up and stop being such a you know fucking whiner and just do my shit. So um, it ended up working. And I put a lot of work into it. And that kind of step was where it paid off to where, you know, I ended up having a great career. It was that conversation with Brent Sutter, and then the next year at 20 with uh, Flash Gordon, Scott Gordon, giving me my opportunity to actually make the team as an underage in the AHL, because playing in the AHL at 20 back then was a little less likely than compared to today, right? Now they really forced the young guys in like the AHL was like a 25, 26, 27 year old league. Now the AHL is like 19, 20, 21, 22. It's a much different league. So it was very rare for young guys, but I got an opportunity and, and I relished it. I also got to play David Craig sheet too on a line, which was pretty cool. Uh, we were both 20 year olds there together and, and uh, lighting it up and having lots of fun on and off the ice. It was a great time. 
It's pretty cool that you're able to kind of pinpoint one exact moment where you feel like your career kind of took that next step and, and launched it into what it ended up being. Do you remember kind of feeling feeling that way when it happened or shortly after it happened or did it take some time until you kind of had time to reflect back on your career for you to really realize that would you say no i kind of knew this moment so like i was 19 again i did that i put on 20 pounds of muscle went to really a lot of work showed up at 20 and then about a year later i was playing against all these guys that were now making the nhl but they were first round draft picks and i had more points than them in the a so i remember like for like the years in the A, I'm getting a point of game. I'm playing better than all these first round picks and they're going to the NHL. And I was like, fuck these guys, man. They're not that good. Like I'm clearly, I felt like that. Right. Yeah. And that's just my, my, my mentality. It kind of sounds crazy, but I'm like, I'm way better than these guys. Even some of my own teammates, I'd be like, I'm way better than this guy. Why is he in the NHL and not me? And I'm playing good and I'm lighting it up. So I remember the summer though. I remember I put in all the work I was doing great. And before my 22 year old year, uh, I was telling all my buddies at home, I'm going to be up for the rookie of the year. And I'm like, there's just no doubt. And I wasn't on anyone's radar or anything. And I just had this feeling like I was going to go off. I was going to make the NHL and I was going to have an incredible year. And, and that year I ended up making the Hawks and I was up for rookie of the year. And again, like that was like Steve Stamkos, Drew Doughty, all their years, right. To shine. Mm -hmm. And I ended up having a, a good season, but that was that kind of time where over two years, I was just like, I was looking across at all these other guys, first rounders, second rounders, getting this opportunity. I'm like, fuck, I'm way better than them, you know? And that's, again, it sounds cocky or arrogant, but that's just how I thought. And that's how I actually felt. And that's fucking I, awesome. Yeah. I think a little bit of that arrogance um, ended up working in my favor. There's another guy you guys probably know really well. I feel like had the same mentality to me. And I think it's Andrew Shaw. You know, I always tell Shaw, I was Shaw before Shaw, um, <laughs> but he, the, uh, I, um, but he, I feel like he's kind of got that same mentality. Like, you know, he was drafted late. He kind of had that fuck you mentality. Like I'm better. Yeah. Than you. And you know, it bleeds throughout a team too. Like look at the Hawks when they had him on the team and how they would play. It's like, it's really infectious and you hate playing. Talk about the guy we can actually pronounce the name, Brad Marshawn. When you play against Boston, like, shit, I got to play against that arrogant little shit. And off, the ice, and off the ice, he's a great guy, right? And guys love him. But yeah. playing these guys, it does bleed throughout the team. And as a, as a visitor, you're like, oh, I hate this, right? No, you got to walk around with a little swagger. I mean, everybody's got yeah. something that mentally kicks them in the ass. And, you know, whatever gets you motivated, you got to roll with it. Um, make it. Make it a bit, right? Amen. Uh, I do want to ask you about your draft day experience. You're taking the fifth round in 04 by the Bruins, pick number 124. What do you remember about that day? I woke up on my mom's front lawn, still shit-faced. Um, nice. So we were uh, – Oh, it's done. <laughs> so what happened was I, I didn't think I was going to get drafted, and I had safe grad the night before. So basically, you know, you go out with all the kids you graduated high school with and you have some drinks. And I, I just remember – I got home at like six or seven in the morning and I'm basically on the front lawn and the draft had already started in Carolina and my mom comes out crying and my ex-girlfriend's there and, and they're pulling me inside and she's crying. She's like, oh, you got drafted, you know, you got drafted. I'm like, what the hell, you know? <laughs> so I went to bed. I wake up like an hour later, there's TV cameras there. They're telling me I got drafted. Rich Sutter's on the phone because I grew up you know, getting to know Rich a little more in my teenage years because I worked for his hockey school and then I bought it a few years after that. But um, I remember him calling me and I remember doing like this interview and my head's like in and out of the camera. So it wasn't like this 
crazy draft experience where you go on stage and the GMs are holding you. It was one more experience where I wasn't supposed to get drafted. Some people thought I might go in the later rounds if a possibility. I went to my graduation, not thinking anything of it and woke up on my front lawn, finding out I went in the fifth round. So it was, uh, it's a draft experience. I'm sure not many have, but it <laughs> ended up working out. Hey, that's all that matters, right? Um, so fast forward in a little bit, I'm going to walk through uh, your first year in Chicago. I believe that was also Quenville's first year. Am I mistaken on that? Yeah. So that would have been my first. So that's the year we're talking about the rookie of the year. The yeah. year before I was up and down, it was Denny Savard. Yeah. Right. So what, what would you say, I mean, you know, you talk about your mindset going in, like, you know, I'm better than some of these guys that I'm playing with or against it. What, what do you remember the most about your first season in Chicago? Because I believe that was Kane's second season. You know, you got this insanely good rookie. You end up having a hall of fame coach become uh, your head coach. What do you remember the most about that year? Yeah, so I remember after the fourth game, fourth game, Quenville came in and it was our first practice at this like Johnny's ice house. And uh, he just took control of the room right away. Q did just with his presence. And, you know, he's got an aura to him as well. There's the, the greats all do, obviously. And uh, I remember he put me on a line with uh, Kane and Taze. And he basically said, don't fuck it up. Right. He's like, go out. And I was like, all right. And I ended up playing really good with them. We had a pretty good little line there. But I just remember, you know, he was brutally honest. Uh, he got the best out of a lot of his guys, especially with that honesty. Um, and I remember there was little things that, I mean, I knew more about him near the end of my career than at the start, but I remember being like, holy, if you're not one of his horses, you got to be ready to play left wing, right wing, center, first line, second line, third line, fourth line, right? Like he'll keep, he, at that time he had, uh, have Latin Boland, and then he'd have sharp and then he'd have, uh, Bufflin and then he'd have, uh, or not even Bufflin, Bufflin would rotate, but sharp. And then he'd have Kane and Taze and all of us would all rotate and interchange online. So I just remember like, if I'm going to have to play in the NHL full-time for Joel Quenville, you have to be able to play every position, uh, and you have to play it really well and you have to be trustworthy. He's going to give you the ability to make plays, especially in the ozone, um, unless they're blind plays, which, uh, he'd basically tell me where to go and how to get there every time I would do a blind play. But, um, yeah, you, you knew right away where you stood, but the biggest thing I remember early on is, you know, him having that little talk with me and then realizing I need to be a versatile hockey player if I'm going to have to play for him. And I think right around that time frame, right. That was the year that Detroit, I think won the cup against Pitt, And then the next season Pitt won against them. And then the year you guys won your first one, you had to go through Detroit that year, right? Well, we never played them in the playoffs, but I remember we thought we were going to have to. That was when okay, they were in the West. This. Yeah, so we went through Vancouver. Vancouver was probably right. the favorites that year. Yeah. And even the year before when we beat them in 2009, they had Matt Sundin. They were unbelievable. They had deep, deep lineup, good team. And then after we won and we were all traded, that's where Vancouver went to the finals and lost to Boston. But I actually think that team Vancouver had in 2010 was better than the one they had in 2011. They were just a little bit deeper, a little stronger, a uh, little bit better D. But overall, yeah, that was uh, that was crazy. That that cup run in 2010 was just out of this world. I mean, it was 49 years before they won another one. The electricity mm -hmm. every night in the building, the Stanley Cup finals. I remember getting on the ice for the warm up. There's a packed barn, people go on, going nuts. Eminem was pumping that not afraid. song when it came out, I was like, this is nuts. So now uh, a lot of very memorable, you know, spine tingling experiences that you're just like, I can't believe that was even real life. At what point does that like 
you know, settled down and you're like, okay, this is just another game. Yeah. So Stanley cup finals game one, it really wasn't until like the second period. I remember the whole first period. I was like, Oh God, everyone's watching, you know, cause that's what the Stanley cup finals is. It's a microscope of the entire hockey world, watching two teams play. Everyone watches the playoffs, but it's like sporadic. You're watching 16 teams play throughout. And finally that Stanley cup finals, the whole hockey world's watching just two teams play. So every mistake is amplified um, everything you say in the media is amplified. Every little play you make, good or bad, again, it's just everything. The microscope is completely amplified, and you got to be ready for the pressure. Because I remember before Game Six, like I didn't sleep the night before, I didn't nap, and I remember being like, "Holy, I feel horrible! Like I, I can't fall asleep. I'm all jacked up." Yeah. But it was, uh, it was a crazy experiment experience on how to control your your emotions. Did you know that Kane scored the goal? No, I can't. I just came off the ice and I remember I was sitting there and I kind of had my arm like this on the boards, laying on the boards, sucking wind a bit. And then I seen him do his little shimmy shake and he went down the board <laughs> and he shot it. And I thought it hit the goalie's paddle because uh-huh. I heard a punk. And then I looked into the netting behind the net and I was like, and I look at Brower. I remember I was like, where the fuck's the puck? And he's like, I have no idea. And then all of a sudden, kind of at that same time, Kane's flying around and he threw his gloves off. And I remember thinking, what the hell is it in the net? And Brower's like, I think it's in the net. And we didn't know, right? So we jump on the ice and Brower throws his shit off. So I threw my shit off. And I remember thinking in my head, I'm like, if that's not in the net, this is going to be the worst feeling on earth. Like, <laughs> I remember it. And then we got down and we're all kind of like hugging and we're all looking down at the other end. And we're kind of waiting to see if the coaches are telling us the puck's in the net. And kind of at that time, I remember the ref, the one linesman went in the net, grabbed the puck and you could see it like from far end, you could see him grab it out of the net. And that's when we all knew. And then we also kind of got word from the coaches at the same time. They still say that puck is gone, gone missing, but we for sure, a bunch of us saw it grabbed out of the net. And uh, yeah, that was it. The second celebration kind of started right after that. So I'm going to hit you with a real vague question that you've probably answered a bajillion times, but what was it like, like hoisting a Stanley cup? the summer with it. You're our first Stanley cup champion that's come on the show. So uh, we haven't really gotten people to talk about that experience yet. Yeah. I just remember being a kid watching Stanley cup finals and every time they bring the cup out, it would be Bob Cole. I don't know. Do you guys know Bob Cole? He's yep. a, like the yeah. faint, most famous hockey announcer. And he'd always be like, and there it is the Stanley cup, you know, it's like a, <laughs> Pretty cool little saying. And I swear to God, I was like watching it come out. And all I could think in my head was Bob Cole saying this at this moment. And uh, I remember it was there and I was like, it, it, it was almost like, again, it's not like it was real. I still remember getting the Stanley Cup uh, from Kaner. Kaner passed it to me. And I remember looking up and seeing the Wachovia building because it was Wachovia Center at the time. And I kissed it three times. My dog just recently died. Her name was Hattrick. <laughs> but uh, it was... Uh, I kissed it for her and for all my family, I remember. And then I turned around and gave it to Nicholas Jalmerson. So that was like, that was one of the most surreal moments of all time. I'm just glad they got it on picture. Uh, and so you can kind of look at it every now and then, or your family or your kid, my kids can now one day. And then the, the summer with the Stanley cup was crazy, man. I remember getting it at the start of that, you know, basically it was 48, to 72 hours. And by the end I was like, you got to take it away. Like this is too much, but the first time, you know, I bring it to my house, we had a big pig roast. Um, 
barbecue. Um, then we brought it to the bar, had a big party. I did a, I actually did a game with all the kids I grew up with. We used to play for the Stanley cup on the street. So I brought all the kids I grew up with on the street and we played for the Stanley cup. I got beat, which sucks, but uh, <laughs> we played for it on the old, on my street, on the old North side where I grew up. So it was pretty cool experience for that. And then, um, I brought it just kind of around town and took pictures with it at spots that were pretty memorable to me. And, uh, at the end of it, and at the end of the day, I remember I went to or the weekend it was, cause it was like almost 72 hours. I brought it to my grandparents. They're the most special people on earth to me. It's awesome. I eat pizza with it. And yeah, it was just kind of a neat experience watching them just like sit next to eat pizza and read all the names that my grandfather had been watching for years. Right. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I mean, I think that's probably everybody's dream is to come back and share it with their family. And, you know, you have your grandparents around. That's obviously, you know, uh, a huge luxury to have. And then I'm going to fast forward just a tiny bit. Um, we could probably ask you a thousand questions but for, for the sake of time. Um, you had a stint down with the Panthers two seasons after coming off the cup win. Um, I've been to a game in Sunrise it's interesting. And I, you tell me, but if I was a player, I feel like it would be the coolest thing because it seems like a chill market can wear flip-flops year round. You show up to the rink. It's a nice weather. There's palm trees. What was your experience down there? Like I, I loved Florida, um, especially that first year. That was awesome. We had a team that no one thought could win. We ended up making the playoffs. Uh, we ended up winning the division over Washington actually that year. And we lost in double seven game or double seven or game seven, double overtime against New Jersey and New Jersey ended up going to lose to LA in the Stanley cup finals. So we had this kind of like team that just banded together and it was, it was probably one of the most close teams I've ever played against, but also like the, it was the one that for sure had the least talent and the least ability, but we just knew how to win. It was crazy. We'd win games, one, nothing two one, two, nothing consistently, We'd score clutch goals, goals all the time. And we've actually, believe it or not, we beat New Jersey game seven with like seven seconds left. I backhanded the puck and Brodeur's glove was in the net. And kind of at that time, it was like wrapped around the post. At that time, the refs went back and the one ref is like, yeah, I think it was in, but I can't call it if I don't know for sure. And the replay, they just couldn't fully say that it was in to end a series, right? Right. So they cut the replay short, but like you go back and you look at Broder's glove, it's well in the net. Um, yeah, it was kind of crazy. And then it's they come back to me now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they scored like a, it was kind of a lucky goal by Henrique. It was an, I mean, it ended up being a game winning goal, but it was a bit of a lucky goal that ended it in double overtime. And then after that, like I had to get hip surgery. And then the next year I blew my ACL out and pretty much it was uh downhill from there but the injuries started to mount up in florida and they obviously i was a, probably a pain in the ass to be around and the and then you just can't carry my cap hit for a team like florida that can't carry that much money so especially in those days like it was great in the sense like you said you wear flip-flops what you did miss is you know in the playoffs they stood up the whole game seven it was crazy it was like a college basketball atmosphere yeah. so much fun and you kind of miss that because then the season started the next year and there's like mm -hmm. you know, half the fans uh, and they are diehard fans though. I'll give them that. The ones that do go, they're diehard, just like any other hockey market. It's just the rinks in such a shitty location and yeah. it's so brutal for people to get to, but it's, it is a cool hockey market. Yeah. There, if I, I mean, I've been there once, it was like off kind of like a two lane highway and it's just a giant parking lot and that's it. It's like yeah, kind of in the middle of the or something. Yeah. It should be in Miami or close to Hollywood or 
or Fort Lauderdale, somewhere, you know, near the city where people don't have to get stuck in traffic for two hours on a weekday just to get there. And then the only place to eat out there is Cheesecake Factory, right? <laughs> to do. So, and it's yeah. usually closed late. So yeah, it's just a horrible location. And then, uh, or Nick, I'm sorry, you go. Yeah. What was the transition like going back to Chicago? Yeah, that was, so that was tough again. I had, uh, I actually ended up in that three years, two and a half years, I had the hernia surgery, hip and knee. And I remember Chicago, I was actually at Danny Heatley's house with uh, my friends. We were just having dinner that night. And I got called from uh, Dale that, that they traded me back. And I remember kind of being a little worried because Chicago, I'd left Chicago on such a high and I was playing such good hockey. And I knew they were getting this like broken down, you know, player back. And I was like, these people are going to be like, what the hell happened to this guy? So that 2013, 14 year was probably the lowest point of my career, super low. And going back to Chicago and not being able to play the way I could and do what I could was, uh, was shitty. And and obviously with my knee, like I I came back after five months of ACL. So I, I was just a shell of myself. And then I put, went to work in 2014 summer and had one of the best starts to a season in my career uh, I was lighting it up like close to a point of game. And at the, the winter classic, I took a shot from Eric fair and broke my hand and I had to get surgery on my hand. So I missed two and a half months and then came back for the playoffs. We ended up winning the cup, but I just, again, like my hand wasn't good. I missed so much time and uh, it was just uh, it was a great way to end, but it was shitty to not end playing the way I finished or I started that season. Cause Man, again, I think I had 28 points in 32 games. I wasn't even playing consistently power play, but it was close to a point of game. And uh, so it just sucked. It ended that way uh, on the injuries and the playing wise. I ended up playing pretty good in the last few games in the cup finals. But at the end of the day, you still want to be a key contributor. And it wasn't mm-hmm. that. So it was a different it was a different feeling for winning. Sure. Absolutely. How does it compare winning it a second time? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't doesn't ever get old, but is it any different, or, or does it still feel just as sweet? Yeah, it was it was amazing. I mean, the first time to me, nothing nothing was like that. Obviously, I was a bigger piece of the team. Um, I was, uh, I mean, had a lot of game winners, and things just worked and clicked so good that year. The 2015 year, you know, again, I was pretty choked about the injuries and issues going on, but. Um, the win was almost more of a relief that year rather than like pure euphoric happiness. So that year is almost like, thank God we won. That would have been, you know, to go through all this and not win would have been shitty. So that was kind of the feeling I had at the time. I look back, I'm like, that was pretty, you know, you know, pretty narcissistic feeling to think that way. But, um, that's how I actually felt, but it was, it was more of a relief feeling rather than yeah, pure ecstasy. I know you, uh, after that season, you wrapped up your NHL career with the Canes and the Flames. Do you want to talk about your experience with those two teams? Yeah, the Canes was cool. I got to meet, obviously, Ron Francis. I loved watching him as a kid, too, and just a mm-hmm. uh, great guy and a, a great manager. Uh, but Calgary, to me, was the pinnacle. I got to finish off playing in my hometown in front of friends and family. I played my first ever NHL game in Calgary. I played my first NHL playoff game in Calgary. I played my last ever NHL game with Calgary with Calgary. So, and I'm born and raised in Lethbridge, which is an hour and a half away from Calgary. So that's like my hometown team. I grew up idolizing people like, you know, I was talking about uh, 
I was talking about Steve Eiserman, but just like Jerome McGinley in Southern Alberta is God, you know, like he's literally God, especially in 2004, 2005, that kind of era when I was like a teenager, mm-hmm. everyone loved Jerome. So my first ever shift, I'm standing out there with him and my last shift, you know, playing with Calgary, playing with his team. So, uh, and I think Calgary was a little bit of a sweet ending in the sense that everyone thought my hockey career was done after, you know, I had to get, I, I should have got surgery after the year in LA. I ended up uh, opting out not to, um, but I ended up showing up in Calgary and having a great year and we ended up making the playoffs. And then the next year, which sucked was I came back and still didn't do the surgery because I thought I could keep going. And I did, I tore I twisted real hard on it in uh, Dallas and that was it. Like I just couldn't move my leg anymore. I gave everything I had. So I tried to come back and play in the playoff or try to get us into the playoffs at the end of the year, but we were pretty much too far out of it by that point. But at the end of the day, man, yeah. Playing in Calgary was awesome. I had an unreal experience, especially that playoffs. It was cool. We got, we got uh, swept by Anaheim, but I thought we outplayed them in three of the four games. Um, but overall, just to make the playoffs with that team and, and finish there was great. Switching gears a little bit. Uh, what kind of guy were you in the locker room? Were you the music guy? Were you the jokester? You know, what are we working with? A little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, I, I like to joke around and have fun with the guys. I also don't think I didn't ever want to be overbearing, you know, if someone's having a shitty day or if you're just constantly telling jokes. I think I'm pretty good at reading people's energy that way. So I like to have fun, though, and, and joke around and also music. I mean, I'd always controlled the music, not so much off days, but game day. It was always like, uh, you know, you get the guys feeling good. And then by the time you're going out, you're throwing the bangers on, right? And the boys are flying. So it's, uh, I had a, I had a science to it, to be honest with you. Like I truly thought about it before the game. Like this is a science. You don't want to be throwing heat early on and getting guys buzzed up. You want to get them feeling good. And by the time the warmups come, you want them in full fledged, you know, flying. So uh, I, I mean, I was always the DJ almost heading on the ice, almost on every team I played on. What were some of your go-to artists? What kind of stuff did you like to play? So I'd always start off with a little tropical healths, you know. Nice. Um, yeah, some are in some rap, depending on what it was. Um, even the old school stuff, you bring back Tupac and, and Biggie, but that would be early on. But before you go out, you're throwing Tiesto bangers on. And, Let's go. Um, yeah, you're getting them going, whether it be uh, Swedish House Mafia, any one of that sort. It's like, I'm a big EDM fan. And I think that's the stuff that gets you going the best, especially before games. Speaking my language. I love that. Yeah. No, I've been um, to Tomorrowland too. And those fest. It was, oh, really? Yeah. I actually saw Avicii play out. It was a pretty cool. Experience. Wow. I'll turn my yeah. truck here. I got Avicii right there. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's honestly the man he was, uh, watched, I watched him three or four times in my life. So, but in Tomorrowland, yeah. Overlooking that crowd in Belgium and watching yeah. he play levels. That was like, God, oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, levels levels got big like right when you guys won the, your first cup, I think. Yeah, I think it was 2011 or 20, something, something like that. You know, it was a little bit after, but I remember first time like so I was kind of always into a little bit of Tiesto and David Guetta and Calvin Harris and then when Avicii came out with Levels, I was like, what is this? It changed the game. Yeah, yep. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like and then you're out with the boys and then all your buddies are jumping down, you're going low every time and every time the beat drops, you're jumping up. I was like, <laughs> This is yeah. way better than this other shit we're listening to right now. So yeah, yeah, difference. Yeah, you were listening to that with your boys going out winning cups, and I was playing JV hockey in Baltimore. So a little different, but <laughs> it's all it's all the same, man. As long as you're with your buddies having a good time. <laughs> well said. Uh, you mentioned you like to you know joke around with some of the guys in the locker room. What are some of the best pranks you've ever seen? 
Well, there's always lots of pranks. I remember uh, Adam Bursch and, and Patrick Sharp would always prank guys, whether they'd go into their room um, before they'd get in it and pull all their stuff out of their room or they'd turn the heat up or, you know, there was just constantly stuff going on, especially in that 2008 through 2010. It was nonstop. Jonathan Taze would always set up his pucks perfectly and stick handle around him in practice. And me and Buff would shoot pucks at him and then he'd flip out and, you know, he'd start screaming at us about ruining his stick handling drills. And it was just, it was, uh, it was fun, man. There's constant. I remember one time too, me and Buff got into it. Uh, and Buff's like one of my closest buddies. <clears throat> so he, he ended up taking my stick before practice and smacking it over the boards to break it. So I couldn't practice with the stick. So, uh, he ended up breaking a stick during practice and it went without him looking at it. I threw his stick into the stands. So basically me and him, he doesn't have a stick and I'm using Adam Bursch's stick during practice. And now Buff is freaking out on me. He's like, where's my stick? I'm like, you snap my stick. He's like, where's my stick? And he winds up and takes a clapper and hits me right in the chest with Adam Bursch's other stick. <laughs> and then everyone's like, there's like, he would have killed someone if it hit him. But it was, uh, that was just something where, you know, we caught, it was constant mess. Like I remember going on the ice and even this is before a game and Buff would rip the tape off my blade and I'd be going out to play like Detroit on a, you know, on a Friday night or a Saturday night. I'm like, I have no tape on my stick and I got to start tonight or I got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to fucking kill Buff right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. He would always do that. He'd always mess with guys. What was, uh, what was young Patrick Kane? Like, I mean, I feel like people talk about him like he's a rock star in his early days. He's a little tamer now, but was, how fun was he to be around and what was he like in practice in the locker room? Yeah. He was just one of the greatest guys. Me and him were super close. And I mean, he was super close with all the guys, right? He was just a, a good, good guy and a good teammate to be around. You could have fun with talk, joke, go have dinner with, And I think the craziest thing that people think is like, he just shows up to the rink and he's this talented. I remember again, he was, you know, 19, 20, 21, uh, before every practice he was on working on his game after every practice, he'd be like the last one on the ice, you know? And I'd be like, dude, I'm so tired. I'm off, you know? And he'd be out there working on his stuff. And then I would call him in like June or July where we just got done playing a long playoffs and he's back on the ice working on his stuff. Like, most guys can't wait to get off. Right. And he just kept staying on and he kept honing his skills. He keeps staying sharp. And I think that's where a bit of my game deteriorated is because first off, I had so many injuries and I could never, for about six summers, I was just rehabbing instead of um, sharpening my skills or staying better. But there's a lot of guys that don't have that. And they'll just kind of stay off the ice and train where he was always on the ice, trying to get better, trying to do better. And this started at the youngest age. So everyone talked about Taze being serious. Till this day, I've never seen anyone more serious about hockey than Patrick Kane. It's not even close. Wow. Yeah. No, guilty of that misconception, honestly, because when he was younger, you know, he's just got the sick hands, just shows yeah. up in the shootout and dangles swag. everywhere. Yeah. And he's, he's so easy. got so much swag, right? Like he's so yeah. confident and you're just like, this guy must just show up and it's a joke to him, but it really wasn't. Like he obviously is a God-given talent that most of us don't have. And even if he didn't work on his game, he'd still be an NHL all-star. But the reason he's going to be an NHL all-star and some is because it's just it, it, the work never ends for him. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, you know, obviously you got a chance to play for a lot of different teams. So um, with that comes a lot of different rivalries is, do you have a favorite team um, regardless of which team you were playing for, but was there one team you always got extra kind of amp to play against? 
Now, I don't know if you, like, how old are you guys? Do you, do you remember? Uh, mid 20s, 23 yeah. to like yeah. 26. Yeah. You would be right in your, you know, mid teenage years. So I don't know if you remember them, but the, uh, the Vancouver series with Chicago were like, they were literally war um, <laughs> in hockey. Like um, not so much. I'm not talking like the eighties or nineties. Like those guys are nuts. Uh, I would never take anything away from them. What those guys went through and how they played. I have no idea how some of them are still standing today, but like for our day, you know, the early, the mid two thousands guys were so big, fast, everyone, you know, after every whistle, someone's getting punched in the head. There was fights every game. There's line brawls, every game, all season long, regular season. And then when the playoffs, it was even magnified by another 50, you know, it was um, fan base. They'd be standing outside our bus, the Vancouver fan base, like, thousands of people screaming at us, chanting at us before we'd walk in the building or walk out of the building playoffs. They'd be outside of our hotel screaming at us, going into our bus, heading to the rink. It was just, uh, it was an on ice rivalry that, I mean, I, I remember playing in them and I, even when you get to the game, you're, it was like, you're, you're going, your mind was just going a hundred miles a minute. You just couldn't calm yourself down. You're just so jacked to go even, even different than the Stanley cup finals. The Stanley cup finals was more just like, Holy hell, the whole world's watching. This was more like, if I don't keep my head off, it's going to get rem- up. It's going to get my removed off my wow. head. You well, know? That's, that's when they had like Kessler and Burroughs and Bieksa and all those guys and yeah. they'd kick the shit out of you. Rick Rippin, uh, Sh- Shane O'Brien, uh, yeah. Darcy Hortichuk um you know they had tough guys and they had big guys too on the back end and that's when the Sedins were to the top in the league right like they had 100 110 point seasons um I'm trying to think down their lineup they had uh they had a lot of guys though like even their defense Erhoff, Edler, uh, Salo uh was Ham Hughes there? Ham Hughes was there yeah, yeah. And if that's not enough to worry about, you got Bobby Lou and net too, right? So. Yeah, no, it was, and he was, that was when he was at the top of his game too. So it was, it was, I mean, you ask most of those guys, I talk with Shane Bryan quite often. We're on NHL network um, last year and he's always like, I, and even back. So we talk if we're ever on sports net, that's, that's the most memorable, I think, series for them too. They easily say, and there's two of them too, or the three for most guys. Um, but the 2009, uh, 10 for me. Yeah. So what are you, uh, what are you up to now? I know you're, you're freshly retired. So what's life got in store for you? Yeah. So, uh, I'm CEO of, uh, and a founder in this new tech startup, uh, for sports tech that I've been involved in. And I started it with my brother and a partner of mine. He's the coach of the Kelowna Rockets in, um, March, 2020, we started the idea and we were going to be coach consultants and there was really no tech that easily allowed us to take clips, essential pieces of data, basically that, that game annotate and send them back. And now we uh, we've created a platform around that uh, simple idea and clever is going to be released at the end of October. And uh, we've basically streamlined the clip edit and share process. So the way you take the clip from the camera uh, without taking a ton of useless video the way you can annotate over that video and send it, whether you're a coach, athlete, or parent. So it's a, it's a pretty cool platform. And I think it's going to change a lot of lives, especially in the sports market, any sport. That's a, I mean, that's a fantastic idea. And I I feel like that's going to be huge, certainly in the areas like where we're from, where a lot of kids are traveling, you know, at least an hour, maybe two, three or more to get to practice, to play, or, you know, to get the, the feedback from their coaches, to be able to do it, you know, 
in 10 seconds, 30 seconds, it's just going to be such a huge help. It's literally in seconds. It's crazy. And that's who we built it for. We built it for the youth sport market. They're underserved and it's a very volatile market and no one's really understood what it's needed, but we've done a ton of data digging and understanding of what's missing. And we believe this is possibly the missing piece. Yeah. Yeah. No, with how tech is nowadays, it's like, you know, you can find something in a split second, it blows up and you know, two years and people are like, how did I never think of this? I feel like that happens all the time now. So that's yeah. awesome that you're doing that. Yeah. And we have currently 200 coaches using it and we're in beta. They call it beta is like mm-hmm. a testing form yeah. of the tech that we're just kind of hardening the tech. Now the features are set. Everything's set. we got 200 coaches, you know, 200 parents, uh, athletes, and, and they all have different uses within the app. Like a, a parent uses the app differently than a coach will use it. And an athlete will use it differently. And then the way an athlete and a coach and an athlete and parent use it are all different. So it's pretty crazy that we're building this athletic community. I mean, we got rodeo on the app, baseball, basketball, uh, soccer, hockey, obviously. And we're entering through, we're entering through the hockey market just because obviously I played hockey. Um, especially in that triple A, double A, a level, that's uh, kind of where we'll be marketing to first, but this app is literally for anyone and everyone. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's always cool to see how guys stay kind of involved in, in sports after their uh, playing careers are done. So yeah. And it's free and it's free. Even there we better. go. Even yeah. Better. yeah. So, but yeah, man. So it's, uh, it's been a different, uh, it's been a whole different world. Let's just say that, but it's been exciting. And I'm excited to see where this can go. Do you still uh, like keep in touch with the game, the news? Do you still follow? Yeah, I, I have to. So I do radio for Calgary uh, for the, the Flames. And I also do for the, the Leafs. Oh, okay, gotcha. And then uh, Sportsnet asked me to do TV usually once, in, uh, once a month. so Or once a week, sorry. So every Friday, I usually do Sportsnet. Any thoughts on the upcoming season? I mean, we're, we're going to be doing our uh, season previews here shortly, but... I mean, who do you think has a solid chance at the cup? Do you think the lightning can do it three times? So I picked lightning both last two years. I'm still kind of going through who I think can do it. Um, who, who do you guys actually think? You got to think Colorado is going to bust through eventually, right? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think the lightning this year, I think they've lost a little too much. Mm-hmm. I think they've lost. I think Yanni Gord and, and these guys are a little too much, and especially playing that deep two years in a row. Um, I mean, they're still going to be a pain. I don't want to say it, but I think Florida is going to have a decent shot. Yeah, I, I agree. They're a dark horse. I two, think teams, uh, two teams that come to mind for me, and I, I hate to admit it because being a Capitals fan, I, I really don't want to root for either of these teams, but the Hurricanes and the Islanders scare me a lot. Mm-hmm. I worry about the Islanders. Just because I don't think they're allowed to be creative enough to win a Stanley Cup. I think they're they're pain in the ass to play because they're a veteran team. You know, they play a good system, but you know, Barry Trotz doesn't have a Vetchkin and Backstrom and these guys that can do that extra that the Islanders I don't think have. So that's why I just and, and they're boring as hell to watch. I never want to be they're horrible to watch. We got but, a long, lot of Long Island people that listen. <laughs> oh, sorry. But I actually nope, like let them have it. Let them have yeah. it. Oh, yeah. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I always kind of consider, especially Peter Laviolette, he's kind of this coach that figures out how, how to get his team to the Stanley Cup finals. Usually, 
in the first two to three years of his term. So I wouldn't be totally shocked if Washington can go on a run this year. And again, Islanders too. I think they can go on a run. I just think they're boring as hell. So sorry, everyone out there. (laughs) But I guess if you're an Islanders fan, you like it. Exactly. Uh, But yeah, so I I mean, through the West though, Colorado's it. I I truly don't think Vegas. I kind of think Vegas a little bit like I do like the Islanders. I think they're a hard out, but I don't see them winning four rounds. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I have to go look at it again. What are your thoughts on Seattle? How do you think they're going to fare this year? Do you think we're going to see like, you know, everyone's asking, are they going to be as good as Vegas or what, oh. what's your expectations for them? I don't think they're going to be that good at all. Um, oh. Yeah, they're, they're not near as deep. Um, I, I don't know if they really took any players. Like you look at Carlson and, and uh, Marchesol and these players, Riley Smith, that basically everyone thought they were offloading, but they became st- like studs. Like yeah. Yeah you know, 20 to 30 goal scorers and 40 to 60 point players. So like, does Seattle have any of those players in their pipeline? Like, I I mean, I don't know. I I don't really know who they even got for a lot of the players. I think, I think they're going to be a pain in the ass to play against because they, they clearly went for size and, and beef on the back end. But I also think they're going to utilize a lot of those pieces to get trade pieces because teams actually see that, those players played prevalent roles in the Stanley cup finals this last year. So I think they're kind of going to be holding these players uh, as trade chip pieces later on, but yeah, I don't see them being very competitive. Do the Leafs win a playoff series? Oh, man, this is a tough one because I talked Leafs today. I know that's why I got you there. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing with the Leafs. I worry that like, so Zach Hyman, I have no problem leave, letting Zach Hyman leave because at eight years for him, I think is, uh, obviously it's a long term. I worry about they don't have anyone to fill that type of role. Mm-hmm. Like if Connor Brown was still there, he can fill that type of role. I think good enough. I don't like. I don't think they're hard enough to play against uh, consistently, and I just worry about their coaching. Is he going to make hard decisions and hard times? I haven't seen him do it yet. I, I don't think he will. Uh, I hope he does for the sake of leaf nation, <laughs> but also, uh, also with the Leafs though, I, I, I think about it like Mitch Marner is going to have to do different things. Like, you know, Patrick Kane, like his game gets better in the playoffs. Mitch is kind of flat lines a little bit. I want Mitch to do well. I really do. So I, I would be more interested to see if he got any independent help this year, rather than like going back to the well and getting coached and taught by the same teachers, because his skills aren't going to get any better. They're already a 10 out of 10, right? He's already one of the most talented players on the league. He needs to know how to go to areas on the ice that are going to help in the playoffs. And that's going to have to be things that get implemented throughout the season. Like I would honestly sit down and watch playoff film of Patrick Kane and show him where he goes on the ice in the playoffs. Like it's Mm -hmm. not always just on the perimeter. It's not always soft areas. So The, the X factor for me, if they win a playoff series, it's, it's Mitch Marner. Because if Mitch Marner actually played good against Montreal, the, the series wouldn't even have been six games, right? But yeah. he, he didn't show up, right? And, yeah. and I want, and if I think if he does show up, they win that series. For sure, they win that series, right? And then you never know. They could have gone to the finals. Who knows? But to me, he's that guy. He's the X factor because he's the one who gets Matthews going because he's the passer. Nick, Mac, you guys guy more questions i know we've probably close to an hour here yeah i think i'm all set chris thank you so much man we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this yeah Yeah, this is awesome thanks a lot man for sure reach out anytime and good luck with this season 
Of course. Thank yeah, you. you too. Big thanks to Chris for chatting with us. Such a funny guy. I, that story about like him going out with like all of his high school friends and then finding out that he got drafted after he's like passed out on his mom's front step is just. That was one of the more interesting draft day stories we've had. That's all time. um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it was awesome. I'm so glad he got to join us for a bit. And like you said, when we introduced him at the beginning of the episode, he really doesn't hold back. He's a super outgoing guy and he was just a lot of fun to talk to. First cup champion too. I think that we've had on the show. I think so. Yeah. And he's got two of them. Unless you count my dad. (laughs) True. I do count your dad. Oh, uh let's get to some signings injuries trades and other housekeeping stuff uh the nashville predators signed matthias Eckholm to a four-year contract extension worth 25 million dollars the islander signed ryan pollock to an eight-year extension worth roughly 50 million dollars how are you brady kachuk stays in ottawa for another seven years at an 8.214 per Boston Bruins re-signed Charlie McAvoy to a monster deal, eight years, nine and a half million dollars annually. It makes you wonder. And this next signing too, John Klingberg is asking for an eight by eight extension and will the stars re-sign him? But what is Adam Fox going to end up making? It's going to be like 11 a year. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. He's going to be able to name his price pretty much like it was, it's funny that that fake quote that harrison read last week or whatever that he thought was real for a second <laughs> it was like i was basically able to name whatever price i wanted and yes like it's gonna be like that for real if you're like if you're the rangers like gm you're just going oh my god please can you chill with the defenseman signings right now because it's really not helping them i know they were you know everyone was saying they're going to be a huge free agent destination coming up or they were in the talks for Eichel, but I think all that's out the window now. Uh, Some injuries to get to John Gibson of the ducks suffered a lower body injury in the contents against the jets on opening night. Andrew cop basically ran him over. Uh, If you didn't watch it, it's all over YouTube. Uh, Head coach Dallas Eakins just said that's a dirty play. According to uh, Orange County registers Elliot Tiford. That's what it is. That guy knows exactly what he's doing. He's taking the net. He's going to take the goalie. Our goalie is playing quite well. That's what he's going to do. He gets a two minute he gets a two minute penalty and we lose our goalie. So uh, at least in Dallas Eakins' mind, it seemed deliberate. Uh, Gibson did play Monday night and got the win against Calgary. So he does appear to be okay. Maybe he just got his bell rung in that game or something. But glad to see he's healthy. I know for selfish reasons pointing to my hat. I want this guy on the Olympic yeah, team this year. For sure. Did you see the hit? I did. Did it look, do you feel like he was like doing it on purpose or was it just one of those where he had it's just like, like one of those things where and... you, you could, it could have been intentional. It could have not been intentional. You know, we're yeah, never going to know at a later, but that's yeah. interesting. Uh, Max Pacioretty is week to week after he broke a foot during the six to two loss to the Kings coach beat Pete DeBoer said on Saturday, Pacioretty led Vegas with 24 goals last year. Uh, and if you're a Knights fan, it only gets worse from there. Mark stone is day to day with a lower body injury. The 29 year old had 21 goals and a team high 61 points last year. So just to recap, both your leading goal scorer and leading point scorer for last year are now hurt. If you're a Knights fan divisions wide open, baby. <laughs> exactly. Root for chaos. Uh, Sharks defenseman Nikolai Kizhnov will undergo surgery Friday for a lower body injury and will miss eight to 10 weeks. 
Max Domi is expected to be out two to four weeks for the Blue Jackets because of a rib fracture. That sucks. He just came back extra early from an injury. I think they thought he was going to be out until like December and came back the other night. So hope Max gets well. I'd like to see him, you know, find his role there and succeed because I, I really do think he's a talented player. Me too. Uh, Nikita Kucherov was forced to leave midway through the first period of Saturday's game against the Washington Capitals with an apparent lower body injury. Kucherov made awkward contact with Capitals forward Garnet Hathaway and appeared to be in pain. NHL discussion reported on Monday that Kucherov's injury Jesus, is not expected to be a short-term issue and that surgery could be involved. Yeah, that was a weird play. I watched it about a billion times and couldn't quite figure out like what happened still. I I was looking for something upper body, but but then I realized it was lower body and it, it must have been something with the leg or like groin area. Didn't seem good based on the way he was reacting. Did you see like Kuznetsov like trying to push him off the ice and yeah. help him get off? Yeah. Fellow Russians, I guess. But um yeah, it was I don't know. This is I, I'm nervous because I feel like this is how they literally like put him on IR, get Eichel and find yep. a way to like and make three all peak. that shit work. Yep. Yeah. And then then you're really gonna hear it from all the uh all the fans out there that are, that were giving them shit last postseason. But I don't know. I mean, you never want to see a player get hurt, but I it that's like their best player. Also, why does it why does it feel like literally Kucherov and Stamkos just trade off every year? They're like, all right, you're going to be this guy. You're going to be the guy this year. I'm going to get hurt. It's and like, then the next year, it's like, all right, hey, nice season, baby. I'm right. going to get hurt now. You're going to be the guy. And right. Gone, Enjoy like, your year off. Right. They're just switching off being like the number one dude on this team. So it, that's up with that. But It's true. Yeah, it does feel like that. And I know we were given uh, the lightning shit earlier when we were doing our season preview saying, well, who's going to get hurt so they can shelf them online long-term IR. Well, there you go. Can you imagine if they had pulled the trigger on like a Stamkos trade and then Kucherov oh just God. like out for the year and they're just, oh, no way. Oh, oh come on. That's not <laughs> oh, fair. <laughs> can we have him back? Can right. we get Stamkos back? <laughs> uh, Capo Kako was placed on injured reserve Sunday with an upper body injury. Rangers coach Gerard Gallant says he expects the 20-year-old to admit, miss at least the remainder of the four-game road trip that the Rangers are currently on. Yeah, not good news if you're a Blue Shirts fan, but uh, you got to do what you got to do. So at least they got the extra point against the uh, Leafs the other night. That's actually big. They needed that. Yeah, they did need those points. Uh, Some suspensions to get to. Uh, The NHL suspended Detroit Red Wings captain Dylan Larkin for a game for roughing Tampa Bay forward Matthew Joseph. Uh, If you don't know why, go ahead and just look for the next Red Wings highlight you see, because I guarantee that's going to be it. Joseph what kind a of, hothead play, by the way. That was yeah. just so like bush league. Like you never see stuff in the NHL like that. Usually, guys are pretty good at like keeping their composure and just letting the refs and letting the league like handle like the penalties or whatever. But like this was an example of Larkin like getting hit. It was, yeah, I guess it was a little bit of a cheap shot or whatever. And then literally just immediately retaliating in like kind of a brutal way. In like a Marty McSorley kind of like. Yeah. yeah. He just comes in with a haymaker with like, like it was like a clothesline. It was almost like an arm bar to the face. It was dangerous. That could have been a lot worse than it was. Yeah. Also like he only got a game, honestly. I'm like, you know, second round of the playoffs between division rivals game four or five. Yep. That makes sense. But like week one, 
against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, and you're the Red Wings. Who right. cares, dude? Just let although who just somehow seem to put up a fight anytime they play the Lightning. So Fair if you ever enough, want, yeah. like you know, a great odds, there, there you go. But yeah, I totally agree. Hothead play, and I, I think a game is right here. I think anything more would have been a little bit excessive, but um, that's you know up to DOPS, of course. I could see two games just to really be yeah. like, hey, buddy, why don't you think about your actions before you, yeah. before you do it? But I, uh, yeah, a game is fine. I do think he deserves a suspension, though, for sure. Uh, abs forward Gabe Landeskog was suspended for two games without pay by the NHL for boarding Chicago Blackhawks forward Kirby Doc. I thought that was, yeah, that's a fair I assessment agree. for that. Yeah. Hit. And so is this the second game of that that he's sitting out tonight? I believe so. Okay. And then he'll be back and Nate Mack will be back, right? They'll be mm-hmm. good to go. Yeah. All right. Uh, some rumors to get to, uh, Phil Kessel is still looking to be traded out of Arizona and the coyotes are apparently willing to look for a fit for him and try and move him out of there. Uh, Philip Forsberg, if he's not extended by the deadline, Nashville could listen to trade offers for him. Uh, personally, I'm a little bit shocked that they didn't do this two years ago. Yeah. They're running out of time. Honestly, seriously. Uh, how much you want to bet they come to Washington? They're like, all right, so We've uh, we've had our fun with your guy here. Right. Thanks for the last couple of years. Uh, if you want him back, he's yours. Right. Okay. Uh, Tarasenko still wants to trade out of St. Louis. I think it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I think he is going to go at some point. I don't think they're going to hang on to him for too much longer. Uh, and then one that seems like it could happen any day now, Dylan Strom will likely be moved from the Chicago Blackhawks. The Sabres, Wild, and Ducks are three teams that are expected to be in the mix. He was seen wearing a healthy scratch jersey at Hawks practice today, which is Tuesday, and has been scratched for a fourth consecutive game now. I definitely think this is going to happen soon, Um, maybe by the end of the month. I love a good uh, early season trade to shake things up for the team that's getting rid of him and for the team that's getting him. It always makes things kind of interesting. And I feel like there's been a lot of good ones over the last couple of years that you see and they actually like make an impact throughout the year too. So it'll be interesting to see where he lands. I will say out of those three teams you just named, that's like boring city. Like it kind of doesn't make a difference to me if Dylan Strom is getting scratched every night for the Hawks or if he's playing for the Sabres or the Ducks or something like. I really hope he doesn't end up on the Sabres. I, yeah, Sam, I also don't, I, I think the wild would be cool. Uh, I don't hate that one. The ducks. eh, No, eh, not really boring. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So hopefully he ends up somewhere. uh, If you want to come to Washington and take like, you know, a serious discount, but could do that. I was going to say best we can do. We'll give you a million bucks. (laughs) If you want to play for us, (laughs) million bucks. Here you go. Million bucks in a bag of peanuts. Why not? Yeah. Uh, So we do have some gambling trends to get into, but before we do that, Mac is going to tell you guys all about who's powering our gambling picks this year. And that is sharp rank. Yep. That's right. So this season, all of our picks are powered by sharp rank. Sharp rank created the first ever cross sport rating system ranking betters from any sport on one leaderboard that anyone can dominate, even you. Sharp Rank is backed by some of the biggest names in the sports gambling world, such as BetMGM, Betway, and Sports Illustrated. Download the free app for iPhone and Android today. Absolutely. Uh, So it has been a wild first week in the NHL. Uh, The first week in the NHL, for anyone that's listening, is probably the hardest 
of any sport to bet. I would say it, it's pretty much up there with like that first round of 64 in March Madness. It's bad. It's it's on. I forgot how tough it, it is, and it's so frustrating because like you're so ready for NHL to be back, and you think you know who's good and who's bad, and you know you want to like cash in, and then you just you don't know what's going on. And it, you remember that last while. year, you're like, oh crap, my team is no longer, or the team I'm betting on is no longer just playing teams in their division. Now they're right. playing outside of it again which makes it even harder. Yeah, this is going to be a hard year in general for NHL gambling, but uh, hopefully we get our footing soon. I know we've we've led the public astray a couple of times early on, but please bear with us. At least we got Blues money line last night. Yes, and at least we're putting them out there. Uh, Zach Hyman props are great value right now, and he's playing on McDavid's line. So... Uh, yeah, you all know what's going to happen there. I went out of my way to draft this guy like two rounds, I think, ahead of where he should have gone in our fantasy draft solely because he's either going to be playing on McDavid's line or Dreisaitl's line. You know who I went out of my way to draft early on this year that definitely probably got drafted too early, but I'm just taking a gamble. Speaking of gambling, I'm taking a gamble on this guy. I think maybe, just maybe, he's going to have a bounce back year. Who? Eric Carlson. Wow. Well, he seems to think so. Yeah, I saw that quote from him the other day. That made me excited because I'm like, ooh, maybe I'm not the only one that thinks this guy can uh, return to his true form. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, he said the other day that he thinks he's still among one of the best players in the world. And I think talent wise, for sure. I love he was like, I mean, obviously, I think I am like I I love the way he said it. I thought it was awesome. but. Uh, the start of the season is typically your best time to bet underdogs. Uh, your examples are going to be the Pens over the Lightning, the Ducks over the Jets, and the Kings over the Knights. These are times when, you know, youngsters are still inserting the lineup. Teams may have a little extra jump. Teams are still sorting some stuff out. They're shuffling lines. You never know what's going to happen. Let it be known that out of those three examples that you just gave, I lost on two of those bets betting the favorite. There you the go. Knight, I bet the Knights and the Jets in, in yeah. two of those three games and got my butt kicked. So. Yeah, Winnipeg not looked good out of the first two gates. I know Harry has jumped on them. I have a staunch religious belief that I will never bet on that hockey team ever again. I this like they When sc- did you decide that? 2 years ago. They screwed really? me so many times in one year that I was like, nope, that's it, never again. I was so strong on them uh for that opening game too that Harry was big on that. Mm-hmm. I, I felt so good about that too and I just couldn't have been more wrong. The Ducks just beat them and it wasn't even like they didn't look good at all. They like, spanked it was not, them. Yeah. It was, God, it's frustrating. Uh, Pittsburgh looks good. Uh, decent value with Crosby being out. Heinen's got three goals in three games. That's around plus 300 if you keep your eye on it. Uh, they also have hit their over in all three games so far. I wonder why. It's like uh, like Forever Blue Shirt said, is uh, some random guy scoring for the Penguins like every time. They had that Seriously. other guy, what was it, like uh, Mick something or O something. It was one of those apostrophe last names that scored his first goal the other night. I'll, I'll pull um, I'm not sure. Out, uh, the Ducks, uh, obviously, you know, John Gibson would have been a concern, but it seems like he's back in. So while they have momentum, continue to ride them. I know that they're not the most exciting team out there, but like we mentioned, it's a good time for underdogs. They might be able to knock over, you know, one of the big boys and, and get you some points. Plus, if it's an interdivision game, you know, the Pacific really isn't that strong. 
they do give some teams a lot of trouble. Drew O'Connor. That's the guy. And that's the exact example of what Forever Blue Shirts was telling us. Is yep. like You can always just look at the Penguins like box score thing at the end of the night and you'll see some random guy had like a goal, maybe even a goal on assist for um just like okay, buddy. Yep. Of course. Um so now uh, since Harrison is gone, we're going to start part 1 of the 4-hour lecture series on why Alexander Ovechkin is better than Sidney Crosby. No, I'm kidding. Uh but we do have a quick game before we wrap up here. Uh this comes this idea comes to us from the lovely people over at Bar Down. Mac and I are going to try and see if we can count from 1 to 99 using NHLers jersey numbers. So, you know, naming the player and counting up from one to 99 to see, or at least how high we can get, they can be current or they can be former because if we were just doing one or the other, I don't think either of us could get this. No, we need every, we need all the help we can get. How do you think we're going to do? I can tell you right now, the like 90% of mine are going to be either current or former, former Washington Capitals, because I just know those numbers very well. I'm a nerd with that kind of stuff. So. I was going to say, I feel like you and I both, it's like numbers one through 16 are going to be Caps players. Yeah. All right. You want to start or you want me to start? Uh, I'll start number one and I won't do a Caps player. In fact, I'm going to throw it way back for number one. That's going to be Johnny Bauer, the goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs. All right. I like that a lot. Um, I'm going to pull a, a good name here for you that I think, you're you're gonna be like, holy shit! I forgot that guy even fucking existed. Brian Pothier. Uh, and yep, yep. <laughs> Brian Pothier. Is that what you were thinking too? Yep. Yeah. That's hilarious. I, you know what's crazy? It's not like I'm thinking Matt Niskanen who who won a Stanley Cup with the Caps. I'm I know. Brian yeah, Pothier. No, Brian Pothier. Why does that? Yeah, that's that's hilarious. But and I'll give I mean, you another uh, another one for uh, number three, Tom Pody. That's what I was going to say for Tom Pody or for three as well. If I had started and then yeah. gotten three uh, while we're on the theme, John Erskine, John Erskine, number four. Yep. Uh, number five, Mark Giordano. Ooh. Okay. When he was with the uh, flames was number five, right? I think he was. That sounds right to me. I don't know if you okay. want to ch- check it, but I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Sounds right to me. Um, number six, Michael Company. That's a good one. Number seven, Matt Cullen wore number seven in Minnesota. Did he really? I feel like seven is such a ballsy like NHL number for some reason. Yeah. Um, or Dougie just, in uh, New Jersey is now number seven, right? Oh, uh, yeah, he might be. Yeah, um, yeah Geo is five, by not, the way. Okay, cool. So I know everyone thinks I'm going to say the number that's on the wall right behind me, but I want to, you know, I want to keep it a little interesting. I've just proved to you guys that I know some other numbers that aren't capitals. We're going to go Tamu Solani for number eight. That's a good one. Also, we're like not looking these up or have a list in front of us. We're doing them off the top of our head until we make our guess. Until we don't know anything. Yeah. Number nine. Number nine. Nice. Paul Correa. Ooh. Great, great legendary player. I had a little action figure of Paul Correa when I was growing up. Backyard hockey? Um, Come on. Definitely. Um, Ten, I, there's two guys that I want to say. Uh, I'm going to say them both. Matt Bradley, Matt Bradley. and Mike Ribeiro. 
Oh, no, Ribeiro was nine. Oh, was he actually? Yeah. Did he, did he maybe work 10 with the stars or something like that? He was maybe... 63 with the stars. Hmm. All right. Well, I guess I'll maybe he wore 10 with then. like the Preds. Maybe. I thought he did, but anyway, Matt Bradley then, just to be safe. 11. Uh... Someone out there has to be 11. There's I'm a think, there's old caps that are 11. I'm thinking of one guy that I I don't know if he for sure was 11, but I for some reason I'm remembering him as 11. Let me let me check if I'm if I'm right here. You can hear me typing away. Callie Johansson uh, was 6, not 11, right? He was definitely 6. Okay. Uh, oh, Mike oh. Gartner was 11. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, there you go. For some reason, I thought that Yaskin wore 11 with us, but that is not correct. Okay. Um, on to 12 for me. Another all-time classic from our era growing up, Jerome McGinley. Nice. Iggy. Uh, cover of NHL 2003, best soundtrack yep. of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, thir- yeah, exactly. 13. Uh Big one, three. Johnny Ham and Cheese. Ooh, Johnny Hockey. Nice. Yeah, I was gonna. wasn't uh, wasn't Miroslav Shatan number thirteen for uh, the Islanders? I think so. That was the one. It's I was a good one. Pull out of my ass for that one. Yeah. Uh, this is 14, so. This is so hard. By the way, this is harder than I thought. Yeah. Fourteen. I'll go. Um, Justin Williams. Right. Yeah. Nice. Uh, 15. Who's 15? Oh, I might know. Jack Eichel in his rookie year wore 15. Did he really? Yep. Harry has that jersey, by the way. He tried to trade me one for one for my Matthews, and I said no. That's hilarious. Wow. Yeah. Here's a pic. Yeah, I just pulled up a picture of him wearing... 15 is rookie year. Nice. Bonkers. The more you know. Um, okay. This one is weird because so Eric Fair wore 16 for the Capitals, but he didn't always wear 14 or 16. Correct. If you if if you remember, there was a little bit of shuffling that went on between him and Tomas Fleischman. Yep. Because I believe Fleischman wore like 43 or something like that. He did. And then went to 14 after fair switched from 14 to 16. Yep. Yeah. It was weird. So anyway, Eric fair number nice. 16, seven, uh, two goal winner, classic guy. Yeah. Way. Big time. Uh, 17. Isn't Marcus Felino 17. Mm, let me, let me, let me check it here. If not, I think Galchenyuk wore it too at some point. Galchenyuk definitely sounds right that he wore or Jaden Schwartz. Or sorry, seven. Oh, Felino seventeen. Yeah, cool. so that'll work. Um, let me think here. I'm on eighteen. Mm, 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 mm. Let me see. Eighteen. I'm trying to think of a capital that wore eighteen. Are you you have one in your head right now? Mm-hmm. Okay, hold on. Don't. 
I for some reason I can there's gotta be like another You know this one. I know that you know this one. Why do I feel like um I'm picturing somebody on the lightning right now? Uh there's an 18 on the lightning right now. Is it is it uh Palat? It is. Is Andre Palat? Yep. Okay. For some, I was gonna say Sorelli at first, but it's Palat, right? I think Sorelli is is Sorelli he's 71. Okay. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Andre Palat is 18. Who were you, yeah. you thinking of? Maddie Pettinger. Oh my god, Matt Pettinger. God uh, damn. I should have, yeah. 19. Nikki Backstrom. Of course, or Stevie to. Y or Joe Sackick or Jonathan Taves or I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of great 19s out right. there. Um, 20, I always think of a few different players because 20 is like my number when I was growing up. I originally chose it because of Rico Fada. Um, I don't know if you remember Who? him. <laughs> Rico Fada, F-A-T-A. He played for the Caps um, and one of my first coaches, Coach Bo Leslie, told me when I was younger that my playing style reminded him of him because we were both like small forwards that just would like grind around the net for like loose change. And so I originally took 20 for that reason. But nowadays, nice. nowadays when I think of 20, I usually think of like Ryan Suter. That's a good one. Who, do, uh, who else did I have? I had someone else for 20. Oh, uh, Evgeny Nabokov. That's a good one, yeah. Goalie. Not all uh, goalies wear that number. Yeah, 21, Braden Point. Nice. Thought you were going to go Brooks-like. True, could have done that. 22, uh, Kev Shaddy Deuces. Nice. It's a good one. Double 23, deuce. ready Takes for this? Takes a man to wear the double deuce. Yeah, ready for this yeah. one? 23, yeah. Milan Yurchina. Oh, juicy. I love Milan Yurchina, dude. Yeah. That guy was awesome. And then he ended up on the Islanders after the Caps, too. Yep. Um, I'm on the 24, huh? Okay. Oh, this is going to be a deep cut, but I got I to gotta check if I'm right real quick. Please tell me this guy actually wore number 24. Oh, let's go. <laughs> Aaron Volpatti. Wow. Throwback. Yeah. I would have never gotten that. Yep. 24 for the caps. Well, 25, Jason Chimera. Oh, of course. Chimera, legend. 26, uh, Sean Morrison, right? And Matt Hendricks. True. Oh, I love Hendricks. That guy was awesome. Yeah. That guy that, was a really the shootout fun player. Move. Yeah. Oh, the. The paralyzer, dude. Yeah, yeah, that guy was crazy. Um, yeah, him and Sam Gagne have that thing down pat. Uh, 27. I got to go AK 27. That's Alex Kovalev. Sickest nice. hands I think I've ever seen. Yeah, that guy was a legend. 28, Alexander Semen. Of course. Another guy with some of the sickest hands I've ever seen. Uh, 29, Nathan McKinnon. 30, Hank the Tank Lundquist. 31 carry price. Oh yeah. I think so. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like now it's going to get really hard. It's goal. It's goalie territory right now. Yeah. So I'm going to go 32 Jonathan quick. Nice. 33 Zidane Chara. Oh yeah. Big Z 33. Um, 34 Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews. 35 Anton Kudobin. Yep. 
it's another big goal. There's a lot of goalies that were number 35. Yeah. Um, let's see, 36. Now we're getting a little tricky. 36. Um, oh, I have one. Who does he play for? Old school Dallas Stars. Shootout oh. legend. He Ooh. was like the first guy to get the shootout down pat. Hmm. Dallas Stars legend. Played for the Canes for a while. A couple big playoff goals for them. Early 2000s. Oh, man. Had a brother that played in the league, too. Played Not for the one Panthers. of the stalls. No. Um, hit me. UC Jokinen. Ooh, that's a good one. He was 36? I think so. Nice. All right. Uh, 37, Patrice Bergeron, uh, right? Yep, that's the one yeah. I was thinking of, too. Um, 38. We actually, it's funny that I know this, but 38, we, we mentioned to this guy on the podcast like a couple weeks ago, and I was saying that I feel like he's an old man, even though he's like not. Boone, Boone Jenner. Boone Jenner is Wow. I, yeah. I was like, who in the hell wears 38? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, 39, Anthony Mantha. Yep, there you go. Logan Couture also wears 39. I'm True, that's sure. a good one. Um, 40... Varley used to wear 40, right? He but did. Now now he's number one though. So yeah. I don't know if that counts. It does. Well, we could we could do Tuca. Tuca also wears 40. 41, Yarl Halak. Nice. Uh 42, Joel Ward. Yep. And 43. Jackie Robinson. And Jackie Robinson. Big time Tommy Wilson. Oh yeah. Uh 44, Brooks Orpic. Or Roman Hammerlick. <laughs> Oh, let's go. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, 45. Who was 45? Now we're now we're in a dangerous area. All right. Don't ask me how I know this, but Mark Shifley's rookie year, he wore 45 instead of Are 55. I swear to God, look it up. I'm, I am looking this yeah. up. Yeah. Well, we have to fact check. Shifley rookie year. Images. Oh, is that a four on his jersey? That is holy shit. Let's That's go. hilarious. Wow. That's a deep dive. Um, 46. Okay. 46. You got this. Capital? Not the one that I'm thinking of. Um current is he current, the one you're thinking of? No. How far removed? This guy and his twin brother played against the Caps on when they were on the Preds. They were on the Canadians together. I could never what? tell them apart. They're twins. What twins besides the Sedins? Or I don't know if they're twins. I guess right they might just be brothers. The Kostitsin brothers. Andre or Sergei oh, Kostitsin. One was oh. 46. Oh, wow. I did not. Um, I didn't know. Are they twins? I don't know. I could have made that one up. Okay. Well, either way, let's keep it moving. 47. 47. Rich Peverly. Yeah. Peverly, 47? Yeah. Wow. Um, 48 hurdle in, in San Jose. It's a good one. Is there anyone else that wears 48? I don't know. That's the only one that like comes to mind. Is sure. Matt Grizzlick 48? Maybe. That doesn't sound too far off. Okay. Grizzlick Bruins. 
I think he wears 46. And did I get the Peverly one right? Can you check on that one? Let's see. Because if not, I'm going to say Tory Krug for 47 and Rich Peverly for 49. I think I might have got those backwards. What did you say Peverly was? 47. He is. Okay, he is 47. Uh, well, he was with the Stars. He was 49 for the Bruins, it looks okay. like. I'm not going to use him again. So what's another? Who the four? fuck wears 47 and 49? What Who a wears weird 49 play? in the NHL? I mean, you could double you could double use him since yeah. we just found out that he yeah. used I'm I am um, I'm gonna use uh Tory Krug for 47. I'll use Peverly for 49. That way I I don't you there know, you go take okay. the cheap way out. Good call. Uh number 50. Uh there's a goalie definitely that wears 50. Um he also has a shrimp stand. <laughs> Corey Crawford? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so funny. <laughs> Wow, nice one. Uh, 51. I know there's a 51 out there. 51. 51. I'm picturing like a blues jersey for some reason, but I can't think who. A blues jersey. I, are you thinking like David Perron because he's 57? Maybe. Uh, or what did David Backus wear? 42. 42. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I was um, say. 51. Maybe is, a goalie. Is that Shane Wright's number? But that's not the NHL, or so it def- doesn't count. There's got to be a defenseman. There has least. to be a defenseman with 51. Steve Oleksii was 61. Um, hmm. I don't want to go out on this one. This is tough. I don't. I might be. I might thinking be like Bruins too. I don't know yeah. why I'm thinking Bruins. How about I look it up and then give you a hint? Okay. All right. Let's see. Oh, okay. We were right about a defenseman. This is this is a current defenseman. Um, Maple Leafs. Jake Gardner. Yep, there you go. Okay, there we go. 52, Mike Green. Nice. 53, ready for this? Derek uh-huh. Morris. Ooh. With the Yotes. Wow, that's a deep cut. 54, this might be a little tricky too. 54. Who wears 50s in the NHL unless they play for like the Bruins or the Penguins? Was um God oh, oh big guy for the Bruins used to beat the crap out of people. Uh, you're gonna have to narrow it down. Big guy for the Bruins used to beat the crap out. That could be about 25 different people. Played defense, helped them on the Cup run in 2011. Um. Oh. Always like, you know, big guy, but a guy that could really, really throw him. Like Chara is a big guy, but this guy yeah, flat out fight. Uh, Not, it's not, uh, shit, hold on. Who am I thinking? Oh, uh, Adam uh, Adam McQuaid. Yep, you got it. Yes, okay. 
uh 55 i already said mark shifley who else is 55 noah hannafin was 55 in calgary wasn't uh jeff schultz also 55 jeff schultz was also 55 in dc there you go uh 56 i've always been a big fan of this guy and i also for some reason used to really like the wild so eric Halla, sergey zubov oh true yeah yeah i do like eric Halla. 57 uh catch-up number who wore 57 someone has to wear 57 probably another defenseman if i probably another defenseman i don't know why i keep going back to bruins defenseman but they do seem to have a lot of those like 50s and like 60s yeah oh we just talked about him david perron oh right yeah you're right you were you basically gave that away a couple numbers ago yeah 58 chris letang nice 59, Jake Gensel. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Right? I think so. Yeah. Um, 60. Okay. Oh, Jose Theodore. Zach Fucali. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, 61, Steve Alexi, right? He was 61, right? I think he was. Okay. Yeah. 62, Hags, Carl Haglin. Nice. 63, I'll go ahead and use Mike Ribeiro. Nice um 64 that's that beatles song right 64 mm-hmm. fuck this might be a hard one too um, first overall pick for the oilers wait a minute 64 like a recent overall pick yep like one of their three first over or sorry one of their four first overall picks in the last 20 years uh it's not dry sidle. It's not McDavid, not Hall, not Nugent Hopkins. Fuck. Um up there for biggest first overall pick busts of all time. Oh, like did not work out. Mm-hmm. Um, what was his name? Uh not Kachuk, but am I it's uh Ka- Yakupov. Ka- Oh, Yakupov. Okay, yeah. I was thinking. Wasn't else. he sixty four? He might have been. I don't. I don't remember what number he was. Let me look it up. Uh, sixty five. Eric Carlson. Sixty four was Yakupov. You're right. Good call. Sixty five. Eric Carlson. Um, sixty six is Hosang for the Josh Isles. Ho- Josh yeah. Hosang, and no one yeah. else has ever yeah, won that Yeah, exactly. Number. I don't know. I, I always remember that. Yeah, uh, 67. I know one. I don't 67. know if he's... I don't know if he still wears this. Let me, let me do some research real quick. Yeah, he still wears it. <laughs> he. I knew... I was picturing him wearing it with the other team that he okay. got famous for, but now he's on another team. We, we mentioned him in this episode because he's injured. It's a big blow for this team. Division's wide open now. Oh, patch. Yep. yep nice. Yep. Um, 68. Nah, oh, there's somebody I always get confused with Mark Stone. Um, uh, Mm, not it's Hoffman, right? Hoffman. Hoffman is 68. I always get those two conf- confused for some reason because they were both on Calgary, right? And or not Calgary, Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then both got traded too, right? Yep. That's a good one. Uh, 69. <laughs> I don't nice. think anybody wears 69. Right? Andrew Desjardins for the Sharks, I think, is like the only player to have ever worn 69 really? as like yeah, a... I can't think of anybody that does. Yeah. I read an article about that from, it was like Bleacher Report or someone. Um, 70. I'm wearing his jersey right now. Holt. Nice. 71. Uh, Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Yeah. Uh, Bob wears 72 in Columbus. He does. Which I've never understood why. It's kind yeah. of a random ass goalie number, but 73. I know well, one because I always this... draft this fucking guy on my fantasy team. Connor Sherry. Oh, yeah, he does. You're right. I was yeah. thinking of Tyler Toffoli, though. That's a good one, too. Um, Johnny Carlson, 74. Got that nice. jersey behind me. Uh, Ryan Reeves, 75. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of, too. Uh, PK, 76. Nice. Uh, 77. Joe Corvo. <laughs> oh, no way. That's a great one. I was thinking of uh, Hedman. Osh. Yeah. Well, Osh, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, 78. That. It's got to be like a grinder or something like, like a Joe Corvo kind of guy, you know? Yeah. Um, let me see. This one I may need a hint for if you want to look one up. This and one, I will try and look one up. And if there even is one, like, I feel like who wears. Oh, um, this is a throwback. Uh, unfortunately passed away in the locomotive plane crash oh, played no. for the Canucks and for the Kings. He also oh. wore 38. I totally know who you're talking about. Is his name start with an a starts with a P initials are PD PD. Um, shit. It's not Dupuis. He's, he, no. he wasn't in, in all that. No. And he wore a different number. Um, Pavel Dimitra. Oh, Pavel Dimitra. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to pull that one out, but that, um, yeah. What are we on? 79? Yeah. 79. I'm thinking defenseman. Why do I feel like the Predators maybe have somebody that rocks 79? Andre Markov. Ooh. For the Canadians, I think we're 79. Wasn't um wasn't uh Galov 80? I think so. I could be <laughs> wrong. Where the hell is Briz these days? <laughs> who knows? You know who else was number 80? Was um Nick Antropov. There you go. Yeah, I had him on my fantasy team years ago. Yeah, uh, eighty-one, big Haas, Marion Hosa. True, I was gonna say Phil Kessel because we talked about him earlier too. Mister Hot Dog, um, <laughs> he'll be on the NA or the uh, USA team, right? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, he'll he'll be the GM of the USA team. Oh yeah, um, I believe that. Uh, the other Felino, where is 82? Uh, Marcus. Marcus? Yeah. 
Wasn't he 17? Oh, I thought you said Nick Foligno earlier. I might have. I think you're right. Yeah, I did. Uh, 82. You want to double check me on that? Yeah. We're getting further than I thought. We, we are were. getting further up. But we're running into some random ass numbers along the way that we needed help with. So I Yes, guess you are it. correct. Okay. Uh, that brings us to what? 83? Yes, sir. Um, oh, our puppy dog, Jay Beagle. Exactly. Took yeah. Me I was like, I know someone who's 83. Yeah, I was, I was having fun watching him play the other night. Um, Win, win in some draws as usual. Yeah, must be nice. 84, there's a, a classic uh, legend that I'm thinking of. Are you thinking of the same guy? Who? Chris Chelios. Did Chris Chelios wear 84? I, th- I think he did. I thought he was 24. Oh. You might be right. He was seven with the hawks and 24 with the habs shit uh who do we got for 84 give me a hint that's the only one i could think of i have one in my head and he was a cap for like a cup of coffee <laughs> oh god uh, also was on the islanders he was on the leaves shootout shootout wizard Newlander? no um you'll know this one had that sick spinorama shootout move against the Sabres when he was with the Leafs. Oh, God. Leafs, Isles, Caps. Shit. Mikhail Grabowski. Oh, <laughs> Grabowski. That's right. Yeah. He was 84, wasn't he? Yeah. 85. That's um, I, oh, one of my favorites of all time to play for the Caps. I literally had his winter classic. Oh, Matty P, our other yes. Matty P. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep. 86, Kucherov. Nice. 87, Donald Brashear. Nice, yeah. No other player. I can think of. No yeah, other player has think ever worn 87. 88, Patty Kane. Of course. Or, uh, doesn't um, Vasilevsky wear it too? He does. Uh, 89, Alexander McGilney. You should have said Tyler Sloan. I could have said Tyler Sloan or uh, doesn't uh, no Sergachev's 98. Yeah. Yeah. Pocket that one. We're going to need it in a couple minutes. We are. Um, 90. Mm, MJ 90 Marcus Johansson. Yeah. And uh, Joe Valeno on the two, Red Wings. Two of his sticks right behind me. Nice. MJ 90. Um, 91. Jeez. Oh, wow. There's, I don't know if there's anyone in the NHL that has <laughs> the number 91. A lot of good ones, honestly. <laughs> but I'm going to have to go with, present. yeah, I'm going to have to go with my favorite 91 of all time, which would be Sergei Fedorov. Yeah. That's what I was hoping you'd say. Um, 92, Michael Nylander. I there you go. 92. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 93. 93. Not. Mitch Marner, he wore 93 with London. No, there's um there's somebody, I think. There has to be someone with a 93. Um uh, 
Do you want me to look one up and give you a hint? Can you look at, is it Christian Fisher? Is he 93? Um, he is, let's see. That's when he was with Adirondack. Looks like he's rocking a uh, 36. Damn it. That's right. Yeah. Um, oh, here's one. How about, um, I believe he just got traded or just signed with a new team. He was a flyer forever. Um, for a check. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Uh, 94. And please tell me I'm right about this. Corey Perry with the Habs. Isn't that you what are was- correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay. That was cool. his number in uh, London too. Uh, 95. That's an interesting one. Didn't Trevor uh, Daly wear 95 the year the Penguins won the cup? Ooh, that sounds right to me. Uh, I also think, didn't Burakovsky wear... Isn't that what he wears for the... Uh, yes, that is what he wears because now. Because somebody yeah. else has 65 or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're getting no, there. No, Tra- Trevor Daly was something six. Speaking yeah. of the Avs... Uh, the young stud Miko Rantanen for 96. True, true. Uh, 97, that's where we're at? Yeah. I don't think anyone in the NHL wears 97. No, I don't think so. Yeah, uh, Connor McDavid, duh. There you go. And then 98, to close us out, is, uh, we just said it, um, Sergachev. Yep. And then 99, duh. The one on the wall behind Point, me. point to the one on the wall. Yep. The goat, Gretz. Wow, that was hard. We didn't quite get it. We needed some help at points, but it was, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I couldn't do that like blind or like without any sort of like hints whatsoever. I don't think I could get past like 10. Yeah, definitely. Alrighty. Well, that wraps it up for us today. Thank you for sticking with us. We'll be back next week. A lot of fun stuff coming at you guys. Some more great interviews, a ton of hockey action coming up in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And you got anything else before we sign off? I think I'm all good. Hopefully I'll have some beer league stories. Maybe next week. We got a big game coming up this weekend. Sounds great. Go get them. Alrighty, everyone. And without further ado, class dismissed.